Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. Do you want to die, Sydney? It's your turn to scream, asshole. From the streets of Woodsboro. Back to the streets of Woodsboro. We are Halloweenies. Greetings and welcome to an episode of Halloweenies. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber, and we'd like to wish a hearty welcome. Has anybody ever used the expression, a hearty welcome? Well, hearty I'm going to use it right now. Hearty welcome to anybody who is now listening because we are now a part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network, and we're thrilled to be a part of it. This episode is going to be a special episode in which we dive into our mailbag. A lot of people on our Patreon page as well as other social media fans asked us a lot of questions when it comes to all things horror. So we're going to kind of show our personalities to anybody who's brand new to this podcast. And let's, let's go around a circle here. Let's, let's start off with somebody here at the top of my Zoom feed. Introduce yourself and also explain a little bit more about what Halloweenies is, Mike Rothman. <laughs> hey, this is Michael Myers Rothman's reference to Halloween. Oh, which yes. we uh, take our name from. Because a few years ago, when David Gordon Green and Danny McBride decided to reboot Halloween and, and pay homage to every sequel in the franchise, we decided that we were going to cut and slice and dice through that entire franchise leading up to that movie. And what started as a limited series has ultimately spawned into what we have now. And as you see in the catalog, we've covered all of Halloween. We've covered all of A Nightmare on Elm Street. We've covered all of Friday the 13th, so, you know, we've been to Haddonfield, been to Springwood, been to Camp Crystal Lake. And this year, well, we've been in Woodsboro. We've been, you know, uh, trying to evade the, the, the nasty ghost face killer as we discuss the four entries in that franchise leading up to the fifth one next year, uh, which actually, I guess this is our first year, our first season since the first one where we're actually leading up to a new movie. How about that? Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. So it's been exciting. And in between all the screen movies, we've been uh, talking about Randy's recommendations. So uh, we, we previously talked about Prom Night. Uh, we previously talked about The Howling, two titles that feature prominently, no pun intended, in the original Scream. And we discussed why they're influential on Scream, why they mentioned in Scream, yada, yada, yada. And so we're going to be you know, continuing that uh, leading up into uh, 2022. God, isn't that weird? Like to say 2022. I, I, I remember growing up, I used to hear like 2001 and be like, oh my God. Now it's like 2022, which is, yeah. So we're leading up to Scream 5, or as we're calling it, uh, or the cast and crew were calling it, Five Cream, right? Yeah, is, Five right Cream. Okay, <laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, you know, we're, we keep it up. It is a little gross, well, and that it, makes it's, it's also not great for SEO because, you know, when we put it on Twitter, no one knows what the fuck we're talking about. So they're like, what? Get on top. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, hey, who, speaking of getting on top, who is that that just chimed in? Oh, this is Mike, the new guy of Vanderbilt. 
Uh, well, the new guy always survives the horror movie, right? I, I, usually, right? I think so. Actually, well, I don't no, really hold, hold your, ho- hold your horses. Hold your horses. That might be a question. <laughs> that might be a question that one of the, the, the people asked. So we, we'll get down to that later on. We'll get down to that later on. But yeah, Mike, Mike Vanderbilt joined us uh, last year. He joined us for our Friday 13th season, and he has stuck around, much like Jason has... Just, just hangs around one way or the other. Camp Crystal Lake. He's yeah. just there. won't go, won't go away. Brought on from my partic- particular area of expertise. Yes, there's a very particular area that people, if they go back and listen to our back catalog, will appreciate. I feel like Mike's been with us longer. I mean, we've known you longer, obviously. We, yeah. I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to remember. Well, I, was sniff- I was sniffing around from that first episode, trying to get on this thing. Sniffing around. <laughs> I, I saw, I saw the rising star, and I was ready to hitch my wagon to it. <laughs> and here we are on the bloody disgusting network. Much like Jason at the end of Jason X, hidden in that, that meteor star <laughs> yeah. flying back to Earth. Well, the door is open, and Mike had a steel face on. There we go. <laughs> so he showed up, and you were like, oh, my God. It was time for a reboot. Yeah, yeah. But I no, no, to, but all, you know, all joking aside, like, I think that you were on the, you were, you know, I know you were on A Nightmare on Elm Street. I think you were on two entries there. You were on the fifth and sixth, if I recall. Yes, I was on the fifth and sixth uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. That's where uh, I jumped on. We we have to mention that I might have already mentioned this. There, there's another person in, in my bloodline that's on this podcast. He's my brother, and his name is Elray's bloodline. This is uh, Wolfman Mac Gerber, big hellhead, and a big fan of uh, horror, and <laughs> that's why I'm part of this. <laughs> the Halloweenies. I'm excited about this season, but I'm particularly excited. We're all together this morning, all five of us. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a while. It's, been it's also a, a very time. rare thing because yeah, the five of us are here, but normally you'll usually get three of three of us plus a guest for episodes throughout the year. We've got guests from all over the world, all over, all across the map. Oh yeah. Well, maybe eh, maybe mostly the United States of America. I guess. I, I would still... actually, I think, more come to think about it, it's all North America. But it's yeah, North America. Yeah. Yeah, you know, even close. some Cana- even some Canadians, I believe. Yeah, that is true. We've, we've we've had a couple Canadians. Yeah. And that will continue on for the rest of this year, especially when we do Scream 2, which is our next episode on the main feed, which mm-hmm. we're excited about. Coming in a couple weeks, I believe. Okay. Who is that last Halloweeny that needs to chime in? This is Dan Stevens Caffrey, because he mentioned the guests just <laughs> now, so I had to, had to come in with that. We could legally cover the guests. We could legally cover it. Yeah. It counts. It's close enough. I love the guest. Love the guest. I love the guests. Yeah. I love I love the name Dan. I love Dan Steve. <laughs> I, love Dan, I love Dan Caffrey. Me. And you love Godzilla vs. Khan, which is directed by the guest director, Adam Weingarten. Hmm? If folks are listening, I'm trying to think when folks, yeah, I guess I've known all this by now. You know, our, our other podcast, The Losers Club, it uh, got a really nice shout out on uh, The Last Drive-In last night, which I should have been watching live, but I decided not to because I wanted to watch Godzilla versus Kong on HBO Max because it's leaving today. Had I already seen the movie? Yes. But I, I just imagine to... you woke up on Friday morning and you you like put on HBO Max. It's like, ah, oh, you know, I'll put on some cartoons or something. And then you see like leaving HBO Max tonight, Godzilla versus Kong. And you're like, oh, I gotta watch it before it goes. Like you're like walking Hank. You're like, come on, Hank, let's go. You know, Mike, I liken it to when you give a dog a bone and they start whimpering because they don't know where to hide yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. No, well, normally, so like 
I'm rewatching Batman the animated series, and normally I, I just have that on kind of all the time or while I'm doing dishes because you know they're easy episodes to. Oh yeah, there's a lot of them. Yeah. And yesterday I was I, I'm rewatching all these MonsterVerse films, and I looked. I'm like, ah shit, Godzilla versus Kong leaves today, and I still haven't watched King of the Monsters. Well, I guess I'll have to watch King of the Monsters while I'm doing dishes and doing my other stuff throughout the day. So I, I kind of short shift shifted uh, King of the Monsters by have you be a background watch so I could give a dedicated watch rewatch to Godzilla versus. Well, I've contacted Dan. I've contacted Warner brothers. Just let them know that you have sold them out. Finally, it took years and years. Now I know you're a big fan of King of the monsters, Dan, but let's see if you're King of answering the questions. Ah, here we go. Uh, How about that transition? That's a really good one. Danzilla. King of the answers. <laughs> I got a. Right hey, here. again, we're going to be answering some questions that were left on our Patreon page. That's right. We also should mention that we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod, where we cover a lot of movies that you don't, that don't have franchises, you know, more standalone entries. Or you wish they didn't. Or, or you wish they didn't. <laughs> That's right. Or, uh, and you also find some uh, fantastic, informative, and ultimately just a fun time uh, with our audio commentaries several movies that are on there too so make sure to check that out can't get enough horror i have a feeling that people listening you know what can't get enough horror but let's start off with our first question from the patreon page mac do you want to get this first question out there out here sure rj burchatz asks what slasher novels a la friday the 13th halloween do you guys think are great or legendary from the 80s heyday, or even from the past 10 years. Anyone? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I love the original Halloween by Curtis Richards. I, I think it's a fucking great novel. I remember getting it after just seeking it for years on eBay, and fi- and actually, my I, I had won it, and then I had to go to camp. Not Crystal Lake, unfortunately, but or no, fortunately, actually, fortunately. <laughs> it was a uh, Camp Hilltop, which is basically like it, it kind of reminded me of the Wet Hot American Summer Camp. But my, I was so ecstatic that I had won it, and I was so bummed out that it wasn't going to arrive before you know I went to camp. That my mom actually mailed it up, so I read the Halloween, the original Halloween novel, like in my bunk at camp, and it just felt really fitting. And I'm I'm sure that has some sort of bias towards that book, but I really do think it's a genuinely like a really well-written book. And I think that when it gets to the lore that they add in, I mean, because that's one of my favorite things about novelizations, especially movie novelizations, is the fact that like you can kind of fill in the blanks with some great imagination. And I think Curtis Richards really does a really good job at getting into the lore of like Michael Myers and like Halloween without becoming asinine like the franchise does sometimes. So I, I don't know. I, I really love that book, and it's one that I, I definitely cherish and still have on my bookshelf. Collecting dust, yeah. We, I think we've all read, well, at least four of us read that for, or maybe I'm overestimating, but a number of us read that for our Halloween episode a couple years ago. Uh, for me, I, it, it's hard because, like, the slasher medium to me is such a visual medium, you know? It's kind of hard to convey that in literature. But some kind of adjacent slashery books that I would recommend to people if you haven't read them already I mean, listen, they're pretty well-known. But if you want to say Red Dragon's kind of in that mode, mm. if not Silence of the Lambs is in that mode too, right? Both by Thomas Harris. American Psycho is oh, yeah. definitely in that mode. It's obviously you're, you're, you're following the the antagonist. We'll, we'll call him an antagonist. The nice thing we can call that character is an antagonist. Flash <laughs> protagonist. And then uh, the Black Dahlia. A, a James Elroy novel in his initial L.A. quartet, which ends up including the great L.A. Confidential. Are you in? Uh, are you in on uh, De Palma's Black Dahlia? <laughs> uh, De Palma. I would recommend people read 
Black Dahlia. Mm-hmm. Unless you want to watch a really bad adaptation that sucks the soul out of the Black Dahlia, much like that one character in Mortal Kombat. Oh. Sucked the soul out of that one uh, poor oh, protagonist. Yeah. Jang Sung. <laughs> and then if we want to top it off, series we haven't covered yet, but we, we, we'll, we'll be covering somehow. And it's Clive Barker's novella, The Hellbound Heart, which obviously was adapted into a very faithful adaptation, might I add. Which makes sense considering the person who wrote the novel. Yeah, novella, I was going to say. <laughs> adapted uh, by Clive Barker in, in the form of Hellraiser. So those are some recommendations I, I could give. And they're kind of like, you know, flashery novels of a, of a, a good pedigree. What about you, Vanderbilt? I know you, Chanda, you, you had some suggestions. Oh, I think something that's absolutely worth checking out is the uh, 1987 Jeffrey Cooper release, The Nightmares on Elm Street, parts one, two, and three, the continuing story. And it's adaptations of the first three Elm Street movies. And they're real short because they're cramming all of them into this, you know, trade paperback. But the third, the Dream Warriors one, is based off the original script by mm. Wes Craven and Bruce oh, Wagner. Nice. And I can only imagine reading it in 87 because it's a completely different movie. I mean, mm-hmm. similar concept of the the kids in the mental institution teaming up to f- fight Freddy, but a completely different set of characters. And uh, although it is kind of embarrassing when Wes Craven writes dialogue for teenagers of color. Oh, boy, I can't. A little. <laughs> I haven't read this yet, but I can't even imagine. Is it just I, I don't even want to go down the imitations. Mike, <laughs> Mike, is this the one where like Nancy has like her car break down and then she's like taken in by the Bill Ma- like Craig Wed- Craig Wesson's type character and she's at the house with him and that sounds yeah because they they do end up in Freddie's house and there's yeah. a one kid turns himself into a gargoyle it's really cool stuff and the original screenplay is worth tracking down too it's totally. pretty easy to find online and in the same novelization there's a little section that kind of gives the origins of Freddy Krueger like what he was like before he was he got burnt that's just i don't know it's not canon but it, when i was growing up that was what I, I took as canon well when you take the story credits and the screenplay credits i think it totals five people <laughs> yeah which is which is one, one less more than chinatown and one less than uh <laughs> the wayans brothers white chicks uh, which needed at least needed about six more there were six the writers six on it I was at a bar the other day, and it was on, and the credits came on, and I just happened to look up, and six writers on White Chicks. Well, I, they got paid. They, they, they've they got paid more than we've probably ever got paid in our entire lives. Mm-hmm. That, was a, that was a studio picture. Collectively. Dan Caffrey, I know you don't like reading books, but <laughs> if you... <laughs> Well, this was this was a good question, specific, because when I think slasher, I mean, I read a lot of horror, but I'm like, there's not many slasher novels I read. Even thinking about Stephen King, he doesn't have a ton that you know, a ton of books about serial killers. So, I mean, definitely Thomas Harris to me. That's kind of like the for me the the golden crown of serial killer novels. You know, I thought about Devil in the White City, but I actually like the non serial killer parts better of that book than the serial killer parts. So, what I actually thought, and I think you've read this book justin was the shining girls by lauren i don't know how to say her name lauren bucus yeah and she asked my wife i, I almost uh, recommended her too she also did another kind of slasher supernatural book called broken monsters which i read a couple months ago yeah i need to read i haven't read broken broke but i like shine i mean and it's weird shining girls definitely has an element of the supernatural to it and definitely an element of the metaphysical but it takes place in chicago it's a great chicago i think it's what in the 70s or 80s part of it right was around, the killers. Yeah. and what i love about it too is that I mean, there's some great kill scenes, some great scares, but the the serial killer is also obsessed with power in it. And I don't spoil it, but he does something at the end to 
make sure his legacy continues. It's a very specific, if I say what it is, I'll spoil the book for anyone, but he does this thing at the very end. It's just like a passage of act, this final act he does. And it really stuck with me and creeped me out. So yeah, that's well, we can be spoil my... a little bit dancer. I mean, it, it's a line, yeah. he, he's, he's dying and then his niece comes up dressed in a clown costume and, and holds his hand. <laughs> and then when her mother's preparing a bath for her, oh, I'm sorry, this is the ending of Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. I, I always get that also and, a good and Shining Girls mixed up. Yeah. But yeah. Mac, you immediately punted on this question. You said, ah, I don't know. Because it is, it is a hard, uh, like I said, it's kind of uh, such a physical medium deal. Well, when I read the question, I was really thinking of like horror movie turn novelization, mm-hmm. which I've mm-hmm. not really been able to dive down, which I think, well, say for Halloween. But... I would love to get my hands on some of those Nightmare on Elm Street novelizations, uh, yeah. some of the stuff that we were looking at when we were covering those seasons. That's almost There's a, whole a question other, later on uh, that we'll kind of cover that. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll dive a little bit more yeah. into that when we get well, to you that. Well, you could have turned into Mike Vanderbilt's stream last April, I believe, or May, when he read <laughs> the entire first book in one sitting. Yeah, <laughs> right. I read the first uh, the first adaptation of the first movie. I didn't, I didn't make it to two and three. Yeah, I didn't was think that? so. That, <laughs> I feel like one was probably enough in one sitting. but Just not enough time during the stay at home. Vanderbilt suggested do. doing that more often. Like one of us reads a, a novelization, and I thought to myself, well, that, that sounds like a great idea in theory. <laughs> yeah. But it's hard enough to do this with four other people for two hours. And I'm just imagining just reading for hours upon hours straight out loud. But they're so short. That's the best thing about these novels. You, you say short, but ultimately they're like 250 pages. And it's just like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, when you got to like page 40, Mike, were you just like, what did oh, I do? Oh, no. <laughs> what if That's I you like, start drinking, you know? Yeah, maybe they go in the other room. They won't notice or something. <laughs> I don't think most people expected me to finish it, and then I did. That's the grill. But I've always, I love taking a joke too far. Well, I mean, you mentioned one thing that really kind of stuck with me, Mike, and what I wanted to bring up is, you know, when we were growing up, whether this was canon or not, you know, and you're reading these books, and you're like, oh, well, is this really part of the story or is it not? And, like, not having it be confirmed and just letting it dwell in our heads was the best part about that, you know? Like, like Star Wars is, like, a big example of that. Like, I love the books from the Star Wars era that came out in the 70s and, and maybe early 80s where you're, like, the, everything, the sandbox was so fresh, you know? And it wasn't confined yet. It was just anything goes. As a youngster, you could do any sorts of mental gymnastics to make that fit into the storyline. Well, you know what? That probably happened because uh, this or that and everything. But now, because people take canon far too seriously, like it's next to impossible, especially with Star Wars. It's next to impossible to do that. It's because I was watching Bride of the Reanimator, and it just picks up with the two leads from the first one. Just in another country. No explanation as to why, how obviously Herbert West is definitely dead at the end of Reanimator, but now he's just being a doctor somewhere else now. Let's yeah. Let's take the canon as far as we really need to. This isn't the Godfather Part Three. I love it. Okay, Vanderbilt. You know, you mentioned you take jokes too far. Let's see how far you take your answer to this question from Joshua Sanchez. Do you want to read that? Sure. I thought uh, that was a pretty fun transition. I got zero. I response think that was good. Look, that people. was a good well, one. Just right. question. Four people. Yeah, I thought you were going to read the question. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I I can't do that. I can't do that. Vanderbilt. Do you feel? Vanderbilt, yeah, what? Do you feel that ghost faced? is a much more, I'm sorry, do you feel that Grandfather Time is a much more <laughs> scary or menacing slasher villain due to the fact that anyone can become Grandfather Time over time, over Jason, Freddy, or Michael Myers? Now, if you listen to Halloweenies, you'll know that Grandfather Time is a bit, 
because when I saw Scream for months after, my friends and I would refer to Ghostface as Father Time. And on Twitter, I found out I was not alone. People were responding, yes, I also called him Father Time because that was the name of the costume. Wouldn't he need he, he need a sickle, though? Because doesn't Father Time have, like, a sickle and a long beard? That's just what it said on the... Look, I'm going off of my Rudolph Shiny New Year. <laughs> well, well, maybe he needs, like, a watch, and he's like, what time is it? Dimension Films was not allowed to take anything from reindeers. That was a legal uh, loophole they could not <laughs> overcome. So, so what do you think, Vanderbilt? Um, do you think he's more scary menacing because anybody can be Ghostface over Jason, Freddy, or Michael Myers? No, actually, I think that's probably one of the dullest things about Ghostface is that he can be anybody, especially after that first movie. I don't know. It's like, it will t- uh, to tease uh, some thoughts I have about Scream 2 for the upcoming episode, I just feel like sometimes it's just shoehorned in who Ghostface is and why. I don't think I don't think he even holds a candle or holds a watch to Jason, Freddy, or Michael Myers. I, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think like I get, I get what you know Josh is saying because I, I think there is something realistic about the idea that you know it could be anyone, which is certainly the case that we've seen in, in you know with copycat killers and whatnot. But I just never really found Ghostface scary either, though. Like I, I kind of look at Ghostface the same way I look at like you know when I get off the train late at night, right? Like I'm not really necessarily scared. I'm just more of just like on high alert. You know, I'm like on defense, and I feel like that's the difference it's like almost like what Stephen King talks about like the difference between like horror and terror I would see more terror for for Ghostface where I'm just kind of like I'm, I got my edge up I'm looking like a, char- a sprite character in like Street Fighter where I'm like bouncing up and down and stuff like that like if I was in that world whereas like with Michael Myers or Jason or Freddy like kind of is inescapable right like these guys are just unstoppable they come from another world there's an unknown quality to them that is really unnerving when you really kind of sit down and think about it yeah, so that's a long-winded answer to that one, but I, yeah. Well, even at their, even when they're not supernatural, when you're talking about Michael Myers, you're talking about Jason Voorhees, they're almost unstoppable. But Ghostface is always kind of a clumsy killer. Yeah, yeah. Mac, what do you think? I, I don't. I disagree, actually. <laughs> oh. Mostly because I think I think it's an advantage that he absolutely has over the others because. Every time you see Ghostface, you don't know if it's the same person, so you you can never learn from your past experience. If you've in in the same film, if you've already you know bumped in the Ghostface or he's tried to get you, so you never know like their ingenuity, their strength. You never know what you're gonna get, so you can't really anticipate what their next move's gonna be because it might be someone else under the you know under the in the costumes. So I think it's that's frightening to me because it's it's almost like. You know, not to get too nerdy. It's like the Borg, where it's like, you know, you fight them, they learn from, like, as soon as you fire off a pistol or whatever, they're, like, adapting and that doesn't hurt them anymore. So it's like, what worked the first time might not work the second time. I mean, that cha- that happens in, in each film, like with, with Freddy and Jason. So, you know I mean? So, like, th- that, the, the rules change. But having the rules change within the same movie in terms of like, well, I stabbed him in the leg earlier, so I'm going to hit him in the leg because then he'll be weak. And then what if that doesn't work because it's someone else because there's multiple people? I think that it makes it a little bit more daunting. I think it's an apples and oranges situation because aside from the original Friday 13th and A New Beginning, and to a lesser extent, Jason Goes to Hell, the screen movies have something that those movies don't have, which is a mystery element. You know, there's no mystery and Halloween or Elm Street or Friday the 13th for the most part. So I, I do enjoy, that does make the screen movies a little bit more enjoyable because if you want to look at something that came out like I Know What You Did Last Summer, it's just The, it's the Fisherman. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Again, in a second what? one, there's no mystery. Spoiler alert. I mean, I guess his son is involved. We, we spoiled the 23-year-old, I still know what you did last <laughs> summer. Well, do, do you guys think, though, that, because it's funny, because I guess if you're talking about identity, yeah, there's the mystery. But appearance-wise, for me, for Nightmare, for, uh, Friday the 13th, and Halloween, it's very they're all very strategic in how much they show of the killer as it goes along, right? Like, there's mm. a big kind of finally see them in full and i feel like screaming mean, you see Ghostface right off the bat i mean that first scene just you know comes in and also too because when scream came out i had seen that costume so much because it was just a dime store costume that generation war so i think for me when i think of what scares me you know in a, in a serial killer movie a lot of it does have to do with the physical appearance of the killer and how it, it's unveiled and for and, and and i don't think that's i just don't think that's what scream is trying to do right like that's not scream's strategy so it's just a personal preference thing for me but for me so much it does come down to appearance Ghostface just doesn't really look scary mm-hmm. and i don't think it's supposed to necessarily I've never had any nightmares of Ghostface. <laughs> yeah, me neither. Granted, I saw those when I was older, and I yeah. saw the other ones when I was younger. Who knows if I formed it? Mike? I mean, there is a curve that they could have taken, and that they do tease in Scream 3, which we'll obviously we'll talk about a lot, you know, come August. But where the, August or September, I, I got to look at the calendar. But where they could have taken this to another level, you know? And, like, Randy even warns about it in the in the, the tape, where he's like, you know, all bets are off in, in 3. And I felt like that's kind of when... They really could have gone that more. Oh wow, we're going to introduce supernatural elements into this and go crazy. So why wouldn't that. you? I know. Like, why? Why are you trying to keep that reality in a I know. slasher series? Yeah, well, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, with Scream Three and and hopefully Scream Five. Maybe who knows? Maybe Scream Five will just be a literal five ghost. cream. Five cream. Five cream. We'll have five a little cream. ghost five face. Okay, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll do this next question here. This is from David Gonzalez. Uh, with the recent news that Fede Alvarez has produced Texas Chainsaw follow suit and much like Hallow Green be a direct sequel to the original what other horror franchises would you like to see brought back in the same fashion for example for David if we ever get a Friday the 13th movie it would be a direct sequel to the original thanks for all the great content well thank you David for listening I'll, 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 I, I will say this and this almost happened in terms of a series and this is look I've, I've enjoyed some of the sequels to this movie but I would like to see a trimmer sequel with Kevin Bacon mm-hmm. with actual special effects as opposed to what they had to deal with with the direct-to-video sequels and straight-to-streamer sequels. And I'm honestly just answering this because I'd like to answer every question possible. But I'm usually very much against this. I think it's usually a very lazy tactic because we've had about 14 different direct sequels to Friday the 13th. Sorry, to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they get, you know... And I've said my piece about Halloween. <laughs> but yeah. so that's my but uh, Mac what about you yeah that, that's what I was going to say I, I, I was like I don't <laughs> I don't I don't want to see that but if I absolutely had to choose I'd, I would personally pick a horror film that really never that never got a sequel because then you're not there's no comparison to be had and you're not going to be sitting there saying well why do they ignore a two three four five do you know what I'm saying like just have it be something that just went a long way without like Nightbreed, for instance, right? Dan, Dan, I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, there's so much potential in it, yeah. It never got a sequel, but there's so much world building to explore and things to explore that are new that you could do a lot with that kind of film. It's not like a sequel, a direct sequel to Halloween, where it's like, where well, what are you gonna do with that? Like, what what can you do? It's one, it's such a one note thing, and I and I think you know I love Halloween, but like, 
I, I think you'd have to take something that kind of ends on a note where there's a world to be explored, then they never really got that's to do that. That's kind of a question that's that's asked later on, too, which we can definitely expand upon. Yeah. Um, Rothman? Yeah, I mean, we discussed this idea for Friday the 13th on the first episode because that was one of the things that we, we were joking around about Halloween and how, you know, obviously we haven't had a Friday the 13th sequel. And I think he even brought up the idea of, like, well, what if they just went back to Alice and, you know, and Jason is back to being fresh-faced Jason and not the supernatural monster he becomes. And I'd be, I, I, it's not like I would be opposed to that, but I think, like, the problem is that, like, you know, the run of sequels of Friday the 13th are just so epic and so much fun. I mean, like, I'd hate to, like... I mean, I hate to lose, like, the backhead Jason or, you know, like, Corey Feldman and, you know, Tommy Jarvis and, like, all the dancing, like, the space and Freddy. I mean, it's just an epic run. But 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 I but I think, like, by that same measure, though, I mean, like, where are you going to go with the sequel for those, you know? Like, so if, you, if they did do that, like, it's not like I would be opposed. Like, I, I think with Halloween, the lesson I learned is that I'm not ever really – and especially even Star Wars, too – is that, like, I'm not ever really going to be that – upset about any of like the sequels anymore because like they've just so many franchises have just been tinkered with at this point in so many audacious and wild ways that like it's gonna be a running theme i guess in this episode to quote my favorite partner in crime the indiana jones films willie scott as she says anything goes <laughs> oh yes that famous line yeah not from a famous musical <laughs> yeah no you know it's, uh, it's strictly from willie scott but uh i mean i think you I think they actually chose the right one with Texas Chainsaw because, like, yes, there are there have been like fourteen reboots on it, but like, if you do manage, and I and I actually trust Fetty Alvarez because I think his his films are pretty fucking great, and I think if he's producing, he might have a, a good influence on it. But I think there is room to have like a really good, definitive sequel to Texas Chainsaw that, in a way that they haven't really been able to do. I don't know. It's it's just it's a hard because it's just such a one of a kind movie. So it's like, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to do a documentary style filmmaking like you did in the first one? Or are you going to do something balls to the wall? Well, we, we, we should also point out though, he, he's not directing this. You know, he's no, I know, it. I know. He's just producing it. But like, he's you know, I think he he has that sort of cutthroat mentality that Toby Hooper had in the seventies, where you know he's not going to pull his punches. And I, I'm wondering if, if he exerts that influence over this filmmaker, it could be like a cool visceral sequel. I you know I like where it's going. But what Mac was saying and. and what I think is what would be smarter is like if you just explore these worlds, I think that's the best route. Like I was thinking of Child's Play. Like obviously where that's gone, Don Mancini's still continuing it. We're still getting the series, and it's going to keep the story going. And I love that. I love that he can continue to just keep piling on like it's like a Jenga game. But like, why don't we do like a sequel where it goes back to like you know Chris Sarandon's Mike Norris, and like there's another supernatural case that's in Chicago, and he like you know it's still in that world. Chucky might not be in it, but you're like investigating something else. Like, get imaginative that way. Like, it's still IP, but it's something adjacent. You know, I, I like that type of shit, and wow. I, I we never see that. Like, we never see that. So, I'm know. always on board for another Chris Sarandon vehicle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that um, comes down to just like studios saying, "Well, we gotta get back to the story of Mike Norris I know. from it's just, Child's Play." But, <laughs> but I, I will play. say, I, I do think that the. What's interesting about that is what I feel people think they need to do in these sequels, these direct sequels, is, like, explain things more. And that's, that's not what nightmare. you need to do. Like, that's oh. why like, that's why I picked Nightbreed, because I feel like Nightbreed, everything's already explained a lot. I mean, and then, and then from the original theatrical version, it's a mess, obviously. But there's a lot more story to tell and so many things to discover Rather than just like, we don't need a prequel. We don't need to, to explain why the family in Texas Chainsaw is the way they are. Who cares? I don't care. 
That doesn't. Why, why are we trying to humanize these awful villains? Like, like no, they're supposed to be scary. Let them be scary. Just have it be new people coming across the house. Have that be the sequel. It doesn't have to, you know, have any revelations in that sense. You know, Dan, I, I can't remember. Did you have an answer for this yet? I did. I although I mean, I would probably actually. I hadn't thought of Nightbreed, but I think that's probably the better choice, especially given all the the comics and everything that have come out of it. It's a world left to be explored. I chose the pumpkin head series because um. I, I agree with what you all are saying about, I don't think it needs to be something that's been delved into already. Pumpkin head, the ending really does set up this mythology for the creature and you would want them to, it, it's like the rare time you'd want them to explore that. And then the sequels almost feel like standalone movies that they kind of fit into the pumpkin head framework and they don't really reference what happened with Lance in the first one and there's i think there's only three of them too so it doesn't feel like it's been yeah. done to death so that's one i'm like okay you know if they wanted to just make a pumpkin head sequel that direct sequel i don't think any fans of blood Wayne or blood feud would be upset you know? yeah i think and those it's kind of like the trimmers thing right where those are both direct to video so maybe yeah, people exactly so, acknowledge yeah. them and i just and i just love the original pumpkin head i rewatched it recently i think it holds up so well in a way that a lot of others 80 movies don't so that's my choice dan winston yeah. Yeah. Directed and weirdly did not do the effects for it. And when one of his proteges did, which did you imagine being like, on the set though yeah. for that? Like, you know, you know, he walks by and he looks at it. It's probably like Tom Colicchio and top chef. He just like kind of walks up to like the, the special effects team and just like, hmm, good work. <laughs> Cute. Did he like it? I mean, did he, I mean, it's Stan. I'm just trying to direct over here. Vanderbilt, what about you? <laughs> I don't think these ever really work, at least not the way I want them to work. The direct mm-hmm. sequel, because nobody has the cojones to do anything different. Well, what would you do? I couldn't even think of one. Like, I tried to think of, like, movies that I enjoyed, like something like Fright Night, what I like, because I'm not a big fan of Fright Night, too. And But I'm like, no, like, there doesn't need to be any more. The story begins and ends. Well, the in, way you do Fright Night, too, which film. we've discussed, is you would make it even more meta, and you would have somebody asking Chris Sarandon for help. Yeah. Or something like that. You know, that's kind of going for it. You know? But nobody nobody would do anything like that because there's this idea of bringing everything back to basics. Whereas if you're going to make another Friday the 13th, why not bring some imagination into it? Do something weird. I, I just realized we both referenced Chris Sarandon in these never, <laughs> never before seen. These never going to happen sequels. Every, but hey, yeah, we love Chris a, Sarandon. He's a friend of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In our hearts. Yeah. Better off that there is no more. Get rid of all this old IP shit. It's it's been done. It's I don't care about a new Friday the Thirteenth. Don't want to see it. Would <laughs> like to see a new Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes, because I think it's the rare case where using uh, CGI create those dream worlds could work and be Good. interesting and cool. Good. And you could turn it into. I like the idea of like Inception meets Friday the Thirteenth. Mm. I think that'd be cool having a, a SWAT team go into the dreamland to try and hunt down Freddy Krueger. I think that's great. Nobody would ever do that. I'll bring back the same director from the remake oh, of, of 2010. <laughs> uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan's. Yeah, come back. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get to question number four for minute number 40 of the uh, podcast. We've got six <laughs> more hours to go. I so hope you're enjoying it so far. <laughs> this is from longtime listener Brett Camber and Cujo Littman. Caffrey, I'll take this one. Absolutely. Always love that nickname. Okay. What is an intent? Oh, sorry. Let me start that over. I almost, I would have really messed up this question. What is an unintentionally hilarious scene or moment in a movie you've covered? I was watching Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and there's a scene where Jesse walks into Lisa's house covered in fake looking blood with hands raised, killed someone, and she barely flinches. I laughed. I love this question. I, mine, I, 
we've talked about it so much in the podcast. We reference it all the time. It is in Halloween Five. I mean, <laughs> That's exactly you could, what I have. <laughs> you could you could pick a lot of scenes from Halloween Five, but the one I think of, I'll, I'll be curious if this is the same for y'all, is where Troy Evans, the great Troy Evans, is playing a, a cop who is protecting Jamie Lloyd, and Loomis takes over the situation. He comes in with his revolver right in Troy Evans' face, and he says, "Charlie." Charlie. Does he say it more Charlie. than once? I can, I, yeah, he says it a couple like times. He says it like five times. <laughs> That's your cover crank bit. So that's, Charlie, Charlie. how many times have we like done the video on every Halloween? I love it. <laughs> someone well, catches it on AMC. On oh yeah, like and someone sends the clip and we all just lose our fucking shit. So it never gets old. What, what yeah. about you, Mac? Yeah, Mac. Yeah, your hands raised. I, it always comes back to me to the zombie Halloween fuckheads. Where oh, <laughs> of course, yeah. The scene yeah. where little yeah. Mikey Myers is wearing the mask down the hallway, <laughs> and the music's God, playing, Jesus. and it just looks incredibly silly because it's this giant mask on this little boy, <laughs> and is just not scary at all. You don't think it's kind of creepy? It's a little creepy. No, the size difference is pretty not. creepy. To it, it's, it's not. Shocked. I mean, you, it mind. creeps you out, Dan, because you are creeped out by that mask, period. Yeah, that's true. That's you true. could put that mask on, like, you know, Thumbelina, and you'd be, like, <laughs> frightened. <laughs> it's such an unintentionally... Because uh, it's going for the scare. And it, it for me, it just misses the mark so badly. But, oh, man, yeah. Rothman? I'm going to keep it in Haddonfield because I think that this podcast started because of us quoting Halloween 2 like to the point where it is impossible to watch this movie without just cackling at random scenes and obviously it's one of the most depressing scenes in the movie where you know Deputy Hunt is like one of them was Annie like we say that all the time <laughs> and then one of them was Annie and then there's like, really esoteric Annie? ones that have now become part of our I mean look the reason why I I, I was just blown away when I, I first met all of you were was when we could just do stupid shit like this and we could pull that out and we go oh yeah you think that's funny too like this is something that I would just say in my head and chuckle by myself and one of them is like Jeffrey Kramer's dentist God damn, these ex- are all my answers. <laughs> well, what he's examining well you do the you do the quote so he's examining Ben Kramer <sighs> and he looks up and what does he say It's difficult Yeah <laughs> Kills me every time every fucking time and I, I just I, I and it's so it's a really sad tragic scene too but i just i cackle i think when we saw it at the music box like two years ago in 2019 mm-hmm. it's like a five in the morning or six in the morning screening everyone's just zonked out being like oh i die and then he goes and does the diff- difficult line and you just hear me in the corner just like fucking losing it <laughs> people are probably like what the fuck is going on and then i have one more just in six and this is like one that I don't know if we've really uh, taken it, but uh, Kat was on the episode with me because we used to watch Halloween 6 all the time. And it's when Keith Bogart, uh, as Tim, in Halloween 6, he, uh, the, the dad slaps Kara Strode. And it's, a re- again, a really traumatizing, harrowing scene. But the way he's just like, get away from her. Like, we <laughs> just would randomly say that at some points. And I would just, we would just be dying laughing. And it's just, it, those are the moments. Yeah, those are the moments that when you meet people that can kind of connect on that level, that's when you meant, uh, that's when you know you got something special. Uh, I agree. Uh, Vanderbilt, what about you? Vandy. Uh, you think one of them was uh, Vandy? <laughs> <laughs> Probably Ben Tramer getting hit by the car in Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> well, because if you look at that, oh, there's, no reason, there's no re- there's no reason for any of that to happen. No. The explosion. Well, if you if you look closely, you see the body 
slump over, and then they come back to me. He's standing up against the uh, the van again. Well, too, it's just like the most and the, the flames. I would see. Yeah, sorry, Vanderbilt, you talk about it. But too, I was, it shows. doesn't need to be as brutal as it is. No. But I do love. <laughs> I do love, and this is a staple of '70s cinema. It seems that even if a car doesn't necessarily wouldn't explode in real life, it just spontaneously combusts just because it. it. You know. It, it, it skidded off the road. I love it. Well, they do that again in Halloween 3. Like, last night we were watching it, and the part where, you know, I, th- I think it's Dick Warlock. He, like, gets in the car, and mm-hmm. he, like, sets himself on fire, and the thing immediately explodes within seconds. Like, it, Also, it's <laughs> too, when, when, it's when too cars have, I mean, because that can happen if the car crashes bad enough, but it's never, like, an immediate <laughs> tower of fire. Like, yeah. in Halloween 2. Because <laughs> no. there's, a, there's a version of Halloween 2 where that's on the front of the box, and you can see in the <laughs> freeze frame, the fire is so tall. It's, and it's like a building collapse or something. I love it's it. like it's the so ending funny. of a stand in Vegas. Like, but oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's ridiculous. I've got, I, I no joke, I have Charlie, Charlie, it's difficult. Uh, Michael, or oh, then Loomis is Michael Myers is 21. Which was our seg. Yeah. And because that is the law. Because <laughs> yeah, Loomis in Halloween when she's, when she's oh, asking, yeah. why are we transferring yeah. him? And, and something I don't think, maybe we mentioned it, but I, I'm delirious. Get out now. And oh, that now. which was another seg. And that's yeah. that's telling to also, right? <laughs> yeah. Listen, right. I love Donald Pleasance. Pleasance. <laughs> Donald Pleasance is great. Love Donald Pleasance. He's a fascinating Brad actor Pleasance. because he's one of these actors where you will take the the most normal boilerplate line of dialogue and put an accent on something that doesn't make any sense. But we talk about 40, 50 years later. So congratulations. I love Donald Pleasance. Do you think that is because he was in, you know, kind of cut his teeth as a villain with like you know, the Bond movies? Do you think that maybe had something to do with it? Because he's more theatrical in those? No. Well, he's a very theatrical actor. I mean, like You're the Duke of, of New York. You ain't number one. You're the Duke of New York. Yeah. But it's You're funny because yeah. if you watch Dr. Uh, not Dr. No. Uh, you only live once. Christ. You only live twice. I mean, yeah, you only live twice. Oops. His his performance is very not that. I feel it's very like mm. it's it's very subdued, but I think it's because it's subdued. It's it's very like very. He's clean. got some weird a- very... action hits on that too, though. You know, what, you know, what's <laughs> one. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this, but the, again, Halloween. This is this is just a moment that like this is the more recent one that so that tickles me every time. So you know when like Laurie bumps into Sheriff Brackett, right? Mm-hmm. I. I'm so obsessed with this scene. It's he, she, she, you know, bumps into him. Everyone's a tell the one gets scared, yada, yada, yada. And then she walks away. But he turns around and he's just like staring at her. And he lo- literally looks exactly like Chris Farley in Billy Madison. When he's like, that Veronica Vaughn, you know, and it, it, he's just like <laughs> staring at her for a second. And then he turns away. And Carpenter, for some reason, just feels it's necessary for us to like follow him as he's walking up to the house. It's just so, it, it's such a very bizarre like 10 second scene. And I, I just think about it every time I watch it now. Oh, man, now I'm, I'm not going to be able to watch it and not think. Well, they even have kind of the same. I mean, obviously, Chris Farley's a lot bigger than Charles Cyphers, but they have the same hair yep. jacket, too. They have, like, the sideburns and the, the yeah. that, that Lori Strip. <laughs> I mean, that would be gross because she's... It, it is gross, but it, but I just every time I see it, I'm just like, what is it? He has that stare, and then Carpenter's like, well, we got to watch him look up, you know, walk up to the house, which I guess is to show that he's the father of Annie. Well, but- before he was lighting another cigarette and it fell out of his hand. And he couldn't say cut. Yeah. So they're like, yeah, we'll keep it in the movie. All right, well, let's move on to our next question. Rothman, I think, have you asked a question yet? Have you uh, done? Okay, give this next one from A. Ali. A. Ali, oh. Ali is a great Michael Mann movie. What is each Halloweenie's favorite overall horror franchise and why? Hmm. Not the franchise with the single best movie, but a favorite series taken as a whole, warts and all. Vanderbilt, I think I know, I think we share the same one, but go for it. 
Nightmare on Elm Street. It's the no. most imaginative of the bunch, and the worst, quote-unquote, Nightmare on Elm Street sequel is still better than the best Halloween sequel. It's absolute garbage. <laughs> garbage <laughs> opinion. I disagree. <laughs> I love you, Vanderbilt. <laughs> but Vanderbilt, I agree with you 100%. I think it is Elm Street. I think that there really is only one bad Elm Street entry. That's Freddy's Dead. And as much as I love... I could just put on a Friday movie, even if it's like a New Blood. I really could just throw it yeah. on, you know. But in terms of actual, like, legit quality, <laughs> I really do think that Elm Street is extremely strong. It's a simple answer, but I, that's that's mine. I agree with you guys. If we're being objective about it, Nightmare is the strongest series, and I agree too. The only one I don't like is Freddy's Revenge or uh, Freddy's Dead. I even like. I even actually think the remake is better than people give it credit for. But hey, man, I got to go with Halloween. It's just I. I am obsessed with Halloween. I don't even know if I can answer the why necessarily. I, I just saw that movie at the right age. And I'm obsessed with that series. I'm always interested in anything having to do with that series, whether it's a Rob Zombie fuck fest or, uh, or res even resurrection, which I, I is the only movie I don't like in that series. Or I mean, I, I can't really rewatch in that series, but I was, you know, I bought my ticket for opening night. Like I, for better, or for worse, I'm always going to be no matter how shitty it gets. So that's well, you're a big oath and then Gerard fan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know he's Halloween Five. You know he's the um he he is the uh, Robert Bresson. <laughs> Bresson <laughs> here's, here's, here's Caffrey right now. Right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Myers. I love this guy. <laughs> I love this guy. Dan Oh shit! Sorry, you heard all that. That noise you're hearing is me grabbing my uh, copy of Taking Shape Two, which I'm, oh. I'm still reading. Uh, so there you go. What, what about you, Mac? You know, Nightmare was the first thing that came to, to my mind, but when I really think about it, I think for me. Overall, it's Evil Dead because I mm. love all three. You yeah. know, I mean, the remake's the remake, but everything has, everything has one movie that you know you're not necessarily into. But I, I love the series and I love the games and I think the comics that have come out for that have been all solid. Well, this is a whole different I think story. It's, yeah, it's, that's I would say that that would be too. But I feel like it's, I, I look at that more like as a trilogy. You know, I, I don't even consider like I, franchises like you know like. There's like 25 movies. It's got that whole show. It's still a franchise. It, in yeah, the sense. Well, I'm saying where, where my where my personal mindset was. Because yeah, I would agree yeah. that Evil Dead One, Two, and Three are just like Perfect. very good to great in my opinion. Yeah. All different too, which is cool. Like Two is weird because it's kind of the first one, but still a lot different. And Three is a whole yeah. I could answer Mac. I like. Yeah. I think the remake is okay too. I mean, it's not my favorite, but I, I don't hate it. I like that. I like that one a lot. I, I actually there isn't really a low point for me. In the army, like in the Evil Dead, you know, franchise. The, honestly, the hot take for me is that my low point is probably Evil Dead Two, which I'm not just crazy about. Like, I'm not. I like it, but I'm not. I just love the first one. I think Army of Darkness is so. Don't get a sequel like that ever, especially with a major studio picking it up. No, it's just it's wild. It's but so yeah. I, oh, that is a good one. But the thing that I will say is I got to rep my boy Jason a little bit. One of my biggest takeaways last year with just going through that franchise is that I never once got tired or like kind of like a, that that headache wash of revisiting the, the 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 entries. And I watched those movies so many times last year when we were doing yeah. that run, and I just never get tired of them. I really do think that if they're if you're looking at the most rewatchable franchise, I agree, Justin. It is a hundred percent a hundred is is Friday the Thirteenth. Like I put them on at any time of the day, any time of the year, and I will enjoy it. And I can't really say the same thing for Nightmare on Elm Street and, and, and Halloween. Like, if anything, I, I would say like the least rewatchable franchise for me is Nightmare on Elm Street, just because I just there's something about it that makes it 
seem a little bit more of like a work to watch than the other ones. I don't know. It's it's, it's odd. I can't. I just can't put my finger well, on it. I try because to, they're well, they're real get, films. You, they're real films. <laughs> yeah, but they're also yeah, really true. scary. It, like, I think a lot Ari of them Aster actually has, have yeah. good creepy vibes where it's not like you put it on to feel good like some of those Mm -hmm. are truly like get to me you know in terms of the scare factor so it's like yeah i i i hear what you're saying i mean friday the 13th is definitely fun to revisit for sure like i i'm not there's i mean a few of those that i'm genuinely kind of creeped out by especially too but yeah that's interesting the stuff here who wants to take this next one i don't even know who who hasn't asked a question in a while mac hasn't i don't think yet right mac Nicholas Johnson asks, uh, if you had to recast a horror movie with the Muppets, except for one character, which movie would you choose? What human would you leave? And what Muppets would you choose for a few notable characters? This is a great question. Yeah, this is my favorite question. I'm picking Fright Night. Mm. Oh, here we go. (laughs) I think... Funny enough, I think you keep Sarandon. Yeah. <laughs> Even though he's not, he's not necessarily a human, but he is. Uh, I think Gonzo would be Peter Vincent. <laughs> I think Kermit would be Charlie. And yeah. let's throw Big Bird in there as the hooker in the window that Sarandon is seducing. Oh, my God. Christ. <laughs> Freaky man. Well, it's so funny. He's so tall. You can't even see his. You see like his beak. And that's it. No, uh, you don't see anything. Wait, how is Gonzo not evil? Yellow, Ed? You just see the yellow feathers, and then you see like hit, like Kurt Sarandon's hand come down and pull the shades. No, uh, no count. No, no count as uh, Chris Chris Sarandon. That's what I was thinking. That's why. That's that's what's funny is you, you don't do it. Or I, you, I mean, the count would make for a good uh, Peter uh, Vincent. Peter Vincent. Then in that yeah. case, that's yeah, actually that's, a good point. That, good, yeah. That, yeah. That's Mac, good how you have Gonzo as evil Ed? I like how we're because like, I think Gonzo like, really is such a because Gonzo as as older Peter Vincent like real reality as the as the actual actor you know like I just think yeah. it would be so funny but it's a good stuff. You love Gon- stuff. Mac loves Gonzo. He's big. Jeffrey, you get to go last because I know yours is going to yeah, be I, unbelievably I descriptive. Like, so long. Like, Susan and I went to breakfast and like, I, we talked. We discussed this question. Like oh, I at, imagine like, you. I know. Jeffrey's going to cast all twenty four people at the picnic table in Hereditary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Vanderbilt, what, do you, what about you? I'll just go, I'll, I'll go back to my fallback. I just went with Sleepaway Camp, but you oh, recast every, everybody except Angela. That's good. Wow. In particular, that's a pretty epic Twitter Twitter thread you have on that too. People can find Sweet Swedish Chef is the cook. I mean, that's where it started, and it just uh, went from there. Uh, what was it? Uh, Miss Piggy is Judy, Kermit and uh, Gonzo is uh, the the two boys. Yeah, that's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> I would love to see it. I would love to see uh-huh. it. Oh, and uh, uh, an, an, animal as uh, the head of the, the camp. Oh perfect. my god, that's perfect! Just scream, <laughs> screaming the whole time, and and hooking up with Meg. Rothman, what about you? I, I'm gonna go with Carrie and just keep mm. Sissy Spacek as the star. I mean, I actually think it would be scary. I mean, just imagine the opening scene, and then also uh, the mother. You know, I don't know who the mother would play. Well, Chris is Miss Miss Piggy. Chris right? is Miss Piggy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then obviously Tommy's Kermit. But I mean, yeah, I just imagine I just kept thinking about it. I was like, wow, this actually would be kind of messed up. Like to see all the Muppets being burned and like hacked and slashed away by K- Sissy Spacek would be I'd be, it'd be Caffrey's up at worst that nightmare. Moment. Yeah. I'd be cracking up just in the gym, watching all the Muppets yeah. be like, ah, like waving their hands. <laughs> Doing the Muppet arms thing. Uh, yeah. You the mother, there's uh 
the the Muppets had this series in the seventies called Tales from the Tinkerty, where it was like their fa- fairy tale, like the Muppet Frog Prince came from there. And yeah. there's this evil witch character, Taminella, oh. Taminella Grinderfall. She can yes. be Carrie's mom. Yes. She's, she's yeah, that, perfect. So, 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 if you, if, if you couldn't tell, uh, Caffrey is a Muppet scholar. Um, <laughs> with that <laughs> fucking wa- wild comp that you managed to pull out of your ass, that is yeah. Well, I'll give Unreal. mine real quick because I'm my, my, I'm not well versed as it works. I know, and I also don't want to upset Dan. Because Dan gets very <laughs> upset if people lump in Sesame Street characters well, I mean, with they, Muppets. They, they are, little, but no, like, no, here we go. Go ahead. Can, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you, you, no. So I'll just say this. And I thought this was a very funny image. You keep it in black and white. You do the original Village of the Damned, just filled with Muppet Babies. <laughs> Muppet Babies. <laughs> and, then, and it's the same, I can't remember, the, like that same bland actor in the lead role. And then everybody else is just Muppet Babies with the Even white eyes. Even Skeeter, R.I.P. Is that... Is and that Dan, who it is in the original? Dan, 60s? do I need to recast uh, the the, nah, the, street, the streetwalker in the window? It's no, no, because no, that's really freaky. I like I like the Big Bird thing. The, it's it's <laughs> tough because there was <laughs> crossover. Like Kermit was on both shows, right? And Big Bird appeared on the Muppet Show a couple. I don't of know. Times. I got it right here. Jim Henson said that he wanted it to incorporate everybody, and that they were all Muppets. I'm reading this right straight quote from my head. From my head, they are all Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just Dan. Think- Sorry. I think the, I, I just think the Muppet Show is a lot more anarchic than Sesame Street. And oh, yeah, there is, are yeah. times where they cross over, like mm-hmm. Muppet Family Christmas. I mean, I'm not saying they can't, but when it comes to casting purposes, Susie even said at breakfast, she's like, oh, you know, Bert and Ernie have to be. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're not mixing Muppet Show. Uh, follow that bird. <laughs> follow that bird. Didn't follow that I love, bird. Look, I love Sesame Street. I, I just like to keep them, you know. Right. There, there are times when they can cross over. For my personal horror movie, that is, that is not that time. Well, what do you got? What do you got? All right. So thought for a long time about this susan was trying to do halloween and i'm like no 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 to mike's point about carrie i i wanted to for me if you look at you know muppet christmas carol michael kane's not the only human in that movie but he's the main one obviously and that works the film's advantage because it's a lot about how scrooge is separate from the rest of them right so it works if you have him it just plays into the alienation and the themes of him being different and all that so i wanted to find a horror movie like that so i actually immediately thought of the howling because you know it's it's literally about this woman who's trying to rediscover herself by going to this other environment that turns out to be even more foreign than the real world is for her. So <laughs> keep D, keep D. Wallstone. You have Animal as Eddie Quist, Robert Carver's oh character, of course. <laughs> and and because Mar- Marcia Quist is his sister, right? So yeah. you have yeah. to. So because at first I'm like Miss Piggy, but she's not really a Marcia Quist because Marcia Quist is more ethereal and kind of hippy dippy. So I said Janice because Janice and Animal, they're not technically related, but they're both in the, the electric Band. mayhem. For Christopher Stone's character, D. Wallace's husband, I was tempted to go with Kermit because you know he's just kind of a normal dude and Kermit's the most more normal Muppet, but I wanted to go with someone even more normal and kind of mundane. So I actually picked Nigel, who is the conductor of the Muppet show. Now, if you watch the <laughs> Muppet show pilot, Muppet Sex and Violence, Nigel was in the Kermit role. He was narrator the main character but everyone felt that he didn't have enough charisma so they elevated kermit so the i want to go with someone enough charisma. <laughs> yeah. and, and i'm not saying that like like i'm not saying that you know christopher stone doesn't have charisma he does but like i think that character is just supposed to be very you know mid-level and, and kind of straightforward who else i cast in the great dennis dugan role that's where i actually put kermit because that seems mm. like more of the oh i'm gonna come and save yeah. him and then 
and then also so then I cast Miss Piggy as Terry because Perfect, that yeah. made sense that they're kind of a, a duo together. And then, I mean, the benefit of the Howling is that you could really have just like all the Muppets present at the the retreat, you know. Yeah. But if we're going to go with the few specifics, I think you take the uh, John Carradine role, split that up into Statler and Waldorf, you know, the two, <laughs> two old guys right there. I just want to die. <laughs> I will say if, if, I don't really think we need to cast this role, it's not that big, but if we were going to do any Sesame Street crossover, or the you know just to to go back on my own word a little bit, you, you take forgetful Jones the cowboy and you know, you put him in the Slim Pickens role. Mm. <laughs> well, you know who plays who plays the uh, Patrick McNee the doctor who's kind of like the head of the. Uh, the oh, you know you would have to. Do, I think I think for that you do uh, Doctor Julius Strangepork who's the the he's in the, <laughs> the Pigs in Space parody on the Muppet <laughs> Show. He's I would have said I would have said Doctor Teeth. Yeah. Yeah, but that, don't you think Dr. T's a little too, like, cool and eccentric? You know? Hey, this guy's cool and eccentric as hell. Everybody wants hey, to follow him to this yeah, place. That's true. Yeah, you know, no, Dr. T, that's a good choice. Yeah, because you, you, need, you need to have someone who you know why these people are falling for him and, and, you know, following him. And the added bonus of all this is you get to see werewolf versions of a bunch of Muppets. Oh, like, oh, yeah. oh yeah, that'd be cool. And Susan was, Susan was like, oh, you got to get Ralph the dog. And they're like, no, but I don't want Ralph the dog because a dog is too close to a wolf already. No, so but Ralph the- Caffrey, there's that one scene where the dog jumps at the window at Terry. Oh, yeah. That oh, could yeah, be a, a Ralph cameo. You put Ralph in there and then it really makes the <laughs> distinction between dogs What if, what if their werewolf versions of all of them are just Ralph? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what this is a fun time to mention That's actually, that. that, that is make really sure funny. you pronounce that correctly because Dan Caffrey was very mad at NPR. When they kept referring to Ralph as Ralph, 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 the dog. Unless maybe they're, uh, I don't know, where isn't NPR in like Minnesota or something, right? Maybe it's like their Midwestern accents coming out. Yeah, the the pop culture happy hour really made me mad with how they pronounced Mm. Ralph the dog, not Ralph the dog. Anyway, that's that's my moving deeper with all these characters. But uh, and hey, you know, Joe Dante, he's just good at working with puppets. So that's That's a great one. Amazing run. Amazing. (laughs) I'm just imagining I'm like, so you said you were at breakfast when you were deciding all this with Susan. Imagining Susan's like, well, I got some errands to go. So you stay here and you you work on this. And I'm just imagining and I'm just imagining you like sitting in the booth like Marty McFly writing the letter with for Doc. Like, <laughs> just, like, you know, just, like your so wife like, is actually just like she's pulled out the checkbook. She's working on the budget for the summer, and you just launch <laughs> into this. Did you ever see the Howling by Joe Dante? What, or just what like Dan. Dan's just so like in it, and he like looks up at one point, and Susan had already left like, <laughs> yeah. like thirty minutes ago, and he's just like still talking to himself. Like, well, we got more time. Vanderbilt, awesome. You want to take this next question? Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is good. This is a good one. John Klimczak asks, if the Halloweenies were cast in a slasher film, in what location would it take place? How would each of you die? Who, if anyone, would survive? I'd be the first one to die. Because I'd say it was all bullshit and everything was fine. And I'd go out to show everybody that everything was fine. I would probably, the, so I'd be the first to die. And that's when you'd know something was happening. Where would it take place? A bar? That makes bar perfect bar? sense to me. That makes perfect sense <laughs> to me. Mike Rothman, what do you think? What about you? I, I said Chicago circa 1980. Mm-hmm. Bar scene, like almost like Thief. Green Mill. I, yeah, like Green Mill. You know, we're all hanging out there talking and very maniac-esque, you know? I want like maniac meets like Henry Portrait of the Serial Killer, like real visceral and grimy. Real light horror. Yeah, real light. It's not, you know, it's a lot of, it has its <laughs> tongue in its cheek. I, I'd like to imagine I'd survive being the OCD freak I am, but I would probably die from like, 
you know, be like, hey, I'm gonna go get a cigarette or whatever, and I go out and like some guy would be like, can I get a light? And then he'd go, Gah! and like stab me in my fucking neck or whatever, and they'd be like, hey, Rothman's out there with a cigarette for a while, and then you, you know, you guys would just kind of move on to like maybe the band comes on, they're like, oh look, music, and then you just like kind of ignore it, but yeah, that's they all throw I got up for in the attic for the rest of the movie. And we're <laughs> yeah, for exactly. You. I'm just like sitting there like. All right, so Rothman and Vanderbilt have very low opinions of their survival, <laughs> survival <laughs> tendencies. Uh, Mac, what about you? What do you what, what's your story here? I've got two ideas, and you know what? If someone and someone wants to run with these, just give me a story credit, okay? <laughs> story, but, five screenwriters, then story by yeah, exactly. <laughs> First one would be like, we are the Halloweenies, and we go on a road trip to horror locations, mm. and someone is following us, and like picking us off one by one at different locations in the vein of those horror films. I like that, yeah. Or it's a horror film festival, and everyone at the festival is is dying, but no one knows because, you know, those things, people leave and they don't come back or they don't come back to later on in the day. It gets really dead and kind of in the middle of the night, so you're not really noticing that people are actually leaving and dying. You just think they're leaving the festival. And in that sense, I think I would survive pretty well into it but I think I would die. I'd be second to last to die. And I, w- I would be like Nalls in the thing. I would just like, I'd walk out of the room and then I wouldn't come back and they'd be like, hey, Mac, Mac. And then notice he's probably dead. Something I'm the last person alive. <laughs> I, like I like this. That. Yeah, it's cool. Those are smart ideas. Jeffrey. <laughs> well, I didn't come up for it with a plot, but yeah, definitely Chicago. Cause I know I'm not there, but I used to live there. So Chicago during a time when we're all living there, I just came up with really specific causes of death. I think I would be the first to die just because I'm, I'm all right. Okay, let's say it's during COVID. And so, I, and I'm, I feel like I would be the most, like, oh, I got to, you know, go out and hang out with someone. And you know, I didn't come up with a super specific death for me, but I, fi- I figured it was like, you know, me wearing my headphones and not noticing I get stabbed or something like that. But the rest for the rest of you, I think for Vanderbilt, he's behind the bar and the killer forces a, like what like a funnel in his throat and kills him by pouring malort in it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> oh. That would that never that, that would not kill me. It would only give me superpowers. It would turn me into the <laughs> yeah. the the Uber Jason. I'll say Uber Mike. Uber, uh, Uber Vanderbilt. He goes back to the at the end of the day, superpower and saves it. I, I had Mac, they they take his guitar and shove it down his throat like hand, you know, cannibal holocaust style. And oh Max <laughs> Max guitar on it says this machine uh, doesn't go nineteen or don't go nineteen, but they cross it out and it says it does go 19 you know <laughs> i think with rothman they take him to a uh some kind of industrial plant and they dip his body in plastic and make him into an oversized funko <laughs> and i think justin was that was the one who i just because justin i feel like you're you're very judicious and careful mm. and responsible so i think justin would and also you've been very good about about like being safe during covid and stuff Justin I think survives. you're right. I think I'm living this thing with a big smirk in my face, like, wow, I lost all my friends, but at least I'm alive. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, maybe Vanderbilt, maybe superpowered Vanderbilt comes back well, again. And I always you. I always wanted to be in a horror movie, the guy who you think like dies first, but then comes back and delivers like the final quippy line before it smashes to black. I like <laughs> yeah, it. Totally, yeah. Like something like the at the end of the Lost Boys. The, the great Bernard Hughes. How about that? Deep deep reference. <laughs> the guy from Blossom. Yeah. Um, this is uh, here's mine. This this would be paying tribute to the great Emmett Alston's 1980 film New Year's Evil, in which 15 minutes in, for some reason, they would give away the mystery of the movie and reveal that I am the killer. <laughs> and so much of the movie is people being not knowing who the killer is, but following me around looking for people to kill as a normal person. Caffrey, you're the first to die. 
Yeah, I was Susan's like you. You would die for something. Trusting oh, too much, too burn. much positivity, too much love in your heart. <laughs> you would never believe I would turn and kill you, Vanderbilt. You, you're you're on top of the world. It's New Year's Eve. You're on top of the world. You've <laughs> got your sunglasses holiday. on at night, like Corey Hart. You get your sunglasses on at night, and we're out back having a, we're having a, we're sharing a cigarette, we're having a drink, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, bam, you're dead, Rothman. You you're dead. You're dead. <laughs> With 30 minutes left in the movie, and it's just Mac and I remaining. Still your own brother? But congratulations, because Mac has known me for his whole life and knows that something's off. So Mac kills me and walks off with the final girl. But but I open my eyes at the very end, and there's a freeze frame. Ah! That's, there he goes. <laughs> nice. Going back Little to Justo Maniac. returns. Yeah, Maniac Justin. <laughs> I was going to say, the sequel is actually just like, well, I, I, learned from, I learned from the best, my brother, and it's just me as the killer. <laughs> <laughs> the Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Okay, next. I'll, I'll do this next well, question. This is from... Everybody gave their answer, right? Mike, yeah. didn't, did you? Yeah, I just did oh, oh, Chicago right, yeah, Circa yeah, 1980. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, answers are, these answers are so long, I'm just forgetting. I know. <laughs> I, I'm losing track of, of time. Bryant Burnett, long time Bryant? Listener asks, uh, many of the most prominent horror movies slash franchises have lots of behind-the-scenes and retrospects out there. What is the one movie or series that you feel is most lacking in this area and needs someone to do some great cinematic archaeology on? I think that the field is so well covered now, and it's just so much easier to put together like a strong documentary with technology mm-hmm. now. It just is. I would like to see something about the Psycho sequels and the Jaws sequels mm-hmm. because some of those stories have a lot of wild backstories, you know, <laughs> reshoots, original scripts, movies that never got made. It's a pretty fascinating rabbit hole. And some of those movies are genuinely good, I think. And, and the reason I say that is because Psycho behind the scenes and Jaws behind the scenes have been done to death. But the sequels mm-hmm. is what I would be uh, interested in. And I know that Harker Press, who does Taking Shape or publishes uh, Taking Shape, Taking Shape Two, I think the same authors they did a equally comprehensive book on Jaws: The Ride. So I feel like they're, oh, wow. they maybe they're working something for the sequels, or maybe they already have something. Because I, I was surprised. I'm like, man, I, I, I need to read it. I'm like, there's a whole book on that. It's pretty cool. Well, what about you, Dan? You know, I yeah, this is a tough one because I mean, especially with the internet, there's so much out there now. I chose Puppet Master just because I think that's a really mm. fascinating series, and I don't, I could be wrong. I don't know if there's a, a ton on the on the production, or maybe even on Full Moon as a as a company. Maybe some. No, some oh, there's a there's a pretty good book, but I was I was leaning into that too with at least like the history of Charles Band. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah that's totally. the sort of thing. Yeah, the Full Moon people. Yeah, because because that was a really important series and, and just production company to me as a little kid and like i said they're they're for all i know oh, they they something on it. full moon was my marvel con i never really read comic books but full moon was my marvel comics where i would rent anything that had their logo on yeah that's great and what i couldn't wait for it yeah and all that stuff subspecies or subspecies yeah trancers mm-hmm. they dominated video stores including blockbuster meridian yeah they're yeah, yeah. good stuff that's a little dig mike rothman fuck <laughs> you I really rack my brain on this because I'm a huge fan of these documentaries and I, I love I love second screen watches so I always have mm. them on in the background like I've watched Leap of Faith probably like 30 times no lie in the last two months or whatever <laughs> I still have never seen that movie not the Steve Martin Leap of Faith I remember no the- not the Steve Martin it's the William Freakin on The Exorcist which is just candy for me I just love it oh I, re- I really thought you were referring to the know, Steve Martin one <laughs> no I'm just really obs- obsessed it's like you know you know Martin's got a well, well, Spanish prisoner put that on uh, but no I was just like hey, uh, I love Spanish prisoner uh, I know I do too but I'm just like you know, I got to watch Leap of Faith. No, um, 
It's the the freaking documentary available on Shutter. Watch it. But uh, I love the new run of uh, documentaries that we're getting, and I love the binge worthy documentary style that we're getting. Even though they don't really have a lot of depth most of the time, but they it's just fun to have and it's playable and it's good to it's good to ASMR, similar to Slay ASMR, which is uh, Dan Caffrey's uh, own ASMR channel. Yeah, I'm due for a new episode. I've been, I've been a bad boy, but how about New Year's Evil by Emmett Alston? <laughs> yeah, do that one. <laughs> But I was gonna, so I was really trying to think, like, what would I go for? And I and I thought Phantasm, but then I found out that there's a 2005 documentary called Phantasmagoria. And it's like 90 minutes, so I imagine they go they go in on it, even though they don't really cover Ravager. So maybe they do an update on that. But I think there would be, I think there's we're about due for like a director series, and like especially in horror. Like I was thinking, Stuart Gordon passed away last year, and you know he's one of the one of many master horrors who passed and whose career is now iconicized because of it. And I think that that you could really make really cool director series based on that. And I'd love to know like all the stories about him and you know what inspired him to make movies like Dolls and you know like uh, his love for Lovecraft and you know working in Chicago and like the stage. And I just think there's a lot of really cool side stories that would give you the sort of context that you don't really necessarily get with just reading the Wikipedia entries, you know? Like, if you get, that's where a lot of the oral histories will come in because if you bring in friends and family, you know, just doing interviews for the past few years, like, that's what I've kind of realized is that, like, those are the stories that we just don't hear about. And, and, and because, you know, with productions, it's relegated strictly to the production. But if you're talking about the filmmaker, there's so much there. And I think, like, you know, just imagine, like, even a Carpenter documentary that had, goes through all of that, like, even his screenwriting, like, time in Hollywood that no one ever really talks about. Like, Well, I, Carpenter was one of my potential answers, but then I realized, you know, <laughs> I love John Carpenter. Yeah. But I was thinking about, like, could you do a De Palma-type thing with Carpenter? Good. I, I just don't think he would... He is so tired of talking about his own movies at this point, though. I, I, I can't imagine... That being a very good documentary. I think you could do one that's kind of similar to the, the Leap of Faith, though. And especially if you did something like... Because he loves Assault and Precinct 13. And that's really, like, his debut. Like, I mean, look, Dark Star is great. But, like, de- his debut is, 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 is Assault and Precinct 13. And, like... And it says a lot about his influences, too. You know, because he's always talked about how it's, like, a combination of uh, Night of Living Dead and Rio Bravo. And, like, that is Carpenter in a sense. So if you did something like that, where he's going 90 minutes about Assault... That'd be fucking awesome. And yeah, I if think you amp him up on old it. Howard Hawks movies, maybe. If you, totally you butter his bread. But what, what about you, Mac? I was really trying to think of a franchise that is that, that I felt was most lacking in that area, and I I, I want to say like maybe not the entire thing, but the Return of the Living Dead franchise. I would love to oh, see yeah. like a a doc on at least those first three movies because. And, and I was trying to think if there was something like that out there. There's a pretty good one, I've, I should say. I've heard it's pretty good. That's on the uh, on the first movie. Oh, really? That came out a few years ago. I don't think it covers the second one. Maybe it does. Well, I've got to get my hands on it. Because I just feel like yeah. that's just, it's just kind of like a production that I never really see anything from. I never see behind-the-scenes stuff. I don't know. Like the, I feel like the creature makeup and all that stuff, would. I think it would just be a really fun doc. So, yeah, I'd have to check that out if there is one. Yeah, absolutely. There is. I'll, I'll send it to you. I, it's, okay. I can't remember if it was like a if it was a bonus feature or if it was a proper properly released movie, but there's a pretty decent one out there for that. Because that's what I was thinking of too, Mac, is like I would like to see like a real highfalutin director do it. Like who did the De Palma one? Wasn't it It was Noah Bombach. Noah Bombach and somebody else, another somebody else's another famous filmmaker's son. Mm. You know, I was thinking like Argento or something like that, kinda of like what you were saying, Mike, with like these, oh, it's, these uh, directors who don't really Jake, s- Yeah, Jake Kasdan, right? Jake, no, Jake Paltrow. Oh, Jake, oh, yeah, there we go. Bruce Paltrow's son. Yeah, something with, with people who don't have like a lot of uh, franchises per se, but do have a lot of movies steeped in 
horror genre. So, okay. Uh, next up, let's have this question come from I think Caffrey, right? Caffrey. Yeah, sure. This is from Rob H. Brake. Are there any horror franchises you think would actually benefit from a soft reboot? My cho- and they're kind of doing this already with I don't know when the show is coming out, but uh, with Gremlins, I I feel like because Gremlins two just breaks the mold so much and just goes so far in an extreme direction anything afterwards would be game you know i I don't think there's any risk of oversaturating the gremlins or going too far into their lore like they do with halloween because that movie is just so crazy to me that anything afterwards is game but i think they are doing that with what's it what's it called adventures of the mogwai no i can't remember it's 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 a a prequel cartoon series following the old man but when he's young yeah when he's younger so gizmo secrets of the mogwai yeah secrets of the mogwai so they'll probably go into some of that and the fact that it's on hbo seems like it would be good yeah i wanted to pick something that it wouldn't bother me if they really really went into the lore kind of relating to that last question so uh yeah that's mine uh what about you mac well what constitutes like a soft reboot exactly so i think like i i would consider even something like mad max fury road a soft yes. reboot in a way mm. like it's a sequel but can also kind of function on its on its own, on its own. yeah well, okay what i would like to see and i think that there's something still there and they keep coming back to it and they don't know what to do with it but if you if you do like a like True Blue sequel to the original Universal Monster movies set in that era, I think that would be interesting to me. Like stay true to the to the the, the form and just have it be you know set in that set in that time period. I, I just feel like they try everybody tries to keep updating those monsters and that this doesn't work. Like I can't see that I can't see them doing like I know that they're trying to do that now as well with like already kind of soft rebooting like the dark universe with like the Invisible Man movie, but I can't see the Invisible Man movie like living in the same realm as like a Wolfman movie. Do you know what I'm saying? Like if they I'm do make try one. it though, <laughs> so I think. yeah, I mean, I, good luck. Like I'm I'm I interested because <laughs> I like the Invisible Man. So, but I I'm not sure how that works. Like like in five years, I would love to see like. You know, like we said this last time, like like a, like an Abbott and Costello, like Key and Peele in the Invisible Man universe, like that doesn't quite <laughs> be work awesome. because that, that, that. But I'm like, if they can make that that kind of thing work, great. But I think they're they, they're going too heavy with the horror. But I would like to see I like an original Universal Monsters reboot, a soft reboot where it still pays attention to that and that style, but keeps it kind of like li- a little bit lighter, a little fun. Vanderbilt. Hmm. You got nothing on this one. I I just don't yeah. care about reboots. Like it's all been done. I mean, I'd like to see. I, I would really like to see. I mean, back to what Cafferty was saying, like a big budget puppet master movie, because they mm. really mucked that one up with the Fangoria Sinistate one from a couple years ago. The Littlest Strike. Is that Strike. the Littlest Strike? That yeah. one. Oh. I, I still haven't watched that. I need to. Awful. Uh, Awful. I kind of like that. I kind of really? like that one. Oh yeah, I kind of like it. It's just oh. you don't for many reasons. Mainly because it's Cinestate. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> What do we get them out? Get Cinestate out of here. They're a bunch of weirdos. To do the Puppet Master movies with a big budget and uh, take kind of all the lore and uh, you know keep some of it, you know, with the Nazi stuff, with them fighting the Nazis and uh, make them the antiheroes. But, you know, have some money behind it. Actually, yeah. put the puppets into action. And, and I'm kind of with you on this. I, I'm, I've been very vocal about how I'm very anti-remake or reboot I feel like if you're not going to make it better what's the point right you know I don't, I don't care about updating stuff like is it going to be good that's all I really care about you know the thing I can't get out of my head well I was going to say theater of blood because I would love to see 
how critics would react to a movie about somebody who gets bad reviews and starts killing off all their critics <laughs> in inventive ways. Oh, those bunch of crybabies. Oh, uh, like the, the tears and the, you know, the I, older story. But I can't get this out of my head now that Caffrey said it. I keep thinking about Tommy gun toting gremlins in like yeah. zoot suits in black and white <laughs> in Chicago in like the 30s. Like, that would be hilarious <laughs> to me. That's what I'm talking about. Like that kind of thing where, oh, it's the gremlins, but it could be whatever era it is. Um, so I kind of like that. that really- I do love Mac's idea of like the bringing comedy into the Universal Monsters because I just watched uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Oh, and excellent. I just can't think of anybody who they could really pull it off with comedian wise, but I'm not as hip to that scene anymore. Yeah. Rock, Still- did you give yours? No, no. I, I, I was thinking long and hard about this just because we've had so many, but. I think ultimately, I think we could all can agree on is Halloween. Oh no, I was joking. <laughs> no, but, uh, I, I, no, I, I actually. Finally. No, I, I was thinking that the other day that it's it's kind of wild how many Jaws sequels we got in the eighties, right? Like mm. in the you know late seventies, eighties, and how far they went, with the exception of two. Because I, I mean, I, I really like two. I feel like two is very similar to Halloween two in the sense that they 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 still feel like they're in the same universe. But mm-hmm. I think there is room to do a very distanced return to Amity where you dismiss any of the sequels including the second one even and just kind of acknowledge the fact that there were shark attacks there but use it as like a metaphor for the way that like we live in an era where we continually dismiss history you know like that's one of the things that's been bothering and gets stuck in my craw is how discourse just totally dismisses like history sometimes you know like things that you know they'll bring it up and they don't really want to contend with the context of it, so they just, you know, and that's it. But a lot of the times, and especially when it comes to pop culture, you know, people just absolutely don't want to do the research to find things. And I, I think there's a metaphor there that in a commentary that you can kind of pull for Jaws, yeah. especially given that so much of the, the original one is, is couching the truth, that you could do something really smart there. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, there are shark attacks all happening again. But it could be something where, like, He's heard about, you know, the, maybe a new sheriff or new somebody is in town and has heard, like, you know, obviously it's, like, the urban legend, the mythos, and, and it's, like, almost like a all is lost type thing with Robert Redford where he's, like, a boat, a guy in a boat that's, like, a fishing boat or something like that, and he's just kind of trying to survive and fend off this shark in Amity. And no one believes him later on, like, when he comes back or something. It's just, like, something that he kind of has. It's, like, almost like an old man of the sea type thing. Well, Mike, what's I, funny about that is that Josh, too... The original director was John D. Hancock, I think. And the script concentrated a lot more on that mob subplot from the from the original from the original book, yeah. Jaws. And then they realized that no, we want to make this much more of a let's concentrate more on the kids and more shark action. Because the the guy who comes to the town, Jaws too, yeah, kind of joins up with the mayor. Yeah, yeah. He was part of the mob originally. And there's a whole subplot there with that that dealt with Brody being like this this crazy person who still thinks there's the sharks out there. It kind of it would fall into your mode of thinking, Mike. But again, and this kind of goes back to what Vanderbilt was saying: is that all about that IP? I know like, we have to keep it. Nope, it's got to be about the shark killing people. It's got to be about kill the shark Brody's cat, right? Like Brody discovers his cat on his lawn. Yeah. And he drops at the mayor's the mayor's front door. Like this is what your friends did. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like a David Lowry directed Jaws. 
That's mm. and you could use that. They would probably just call it Jaws again, you know, because that's how anything goes in this fucking Jaws. Rise so of the Rise of, of the Great White. Rise, rise of the, the Great, great White. white. <laughs> but I just think of like a meditative drama, and it's like, and then you even just have three people like go out on a boat that just have to fend it off, and it's like. But they don't even really. It's just a, it's more of like a survival horror as opposed to like even attacks around town. There's no there's no stalker aspect to it or you know slasher aspect to it like the sec, the sequels have. It's just it goes back to the survival notion of the first one. I like that, Mike. This is a good question. Kate Macarin asks, "What recent horror movie would you like a sequel to or made into a franchise?" We have a running theme on these questions. The Conjuring and Insidious are two of the most recent I could think of. Thanks for reading my question and keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Kate. I feel like horror is one of the outlets where I'm like kind of relieved when we could, that we're still getting original stories, you know, because I think the idea of the scare is enough to kind of unlock a lot of the suits minds in Hollywood to be like, all right, yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. I mean, having said that there are a ton of sequels in horror, I get it. There's a, you know, at least a dozen of them this week, this year alone, but I think it is the one genre that still, you know, produces a lot of originality, you know, like in it, you get the green light more often with original stories in horror than I feel like with most of the genres that are out there. So I, I, I actually like the idea that we're getting, you know, more originality in this time of IP. But if there's anyone that I would like, I kind of, I really enjoyed Freaky last fall, and I, I'd like another sequel to that, but then I'd like to really do a third one where you actually have the crossover with Happy Death Day, and it could serve as the, th- the third Happy Death Day movie and also the third Freaky movie. Well, Mike, I, I hate to cut you off, but you know, overseas, that movie I think was called Happy Freaky Day or something like oh, that. Oh, really? That's and Christopher funny. Landon even acknowledged it and was like, yeah, it feels like it's part three of Didn't that. Didn't they say they are going to do a crossover? Am I making that up? I, Happy Death Day... To, did not do great at the Which bottom. Sucks. I feel like the and Christopher Lamb pretty much said that that's a wrap on, on uh, those movies. Freaky uh, was see, great, I, though, man. I really enjoyed I just both that. of those. Yeah, yeah I, I think they're both excellent. I like them both. What about you, Max? When I read this question, I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> but funny enough, I I, I would, of, of all the movies that have come out in the last few years, I would I think that you could you could easily do sequel to the scary stories to tell in the dark movie. I don't think oh, it's yeah. perfect by any means, but it's really it is really fun. And I think if they kind of pull, like, what Shudder did with Creepshow and, like, ask people, like, what do you want to see from the Scary Stories books? Like, what do you want to actually see? What, what, did, we, what did we do right? And then, uh, and then make a sequel. I think, I think you could mine that stuff for days in, in a good way, you know, because we haven't seen any of that stuff on the big screen. So, that, yeah, go ahead. Do that. Tell those stories on the big screen. Don't change them. <laughs> so I feel like I'm like, you don't have to change these stories. That's why they're so good and scary, you know? Like, you can make it fit. You don't have to change, like, the lore or the background or whatever. Anywho, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, I want to see a sequel to It Follows, because I'm kind of with Mike on the sense that I like the originality, and I do, I do want to... I love these one-off films, because it keeps the mystery there, and it keeps things scary. As soon as you start doing sequels, and again doesn't have to be this way but most sequels just want to go into the background and explain why this was scary which makes it not scary <laughs> so don't do it yeah because i mean i remember when it follows came out that was like one of the first things like i think one of the producers and it's like oh you know there's a lot of mythos here to, to plunder and he's like no 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 no, 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 no. Uh, it's funny you guys say that because that was actually my choice no joke <laughs> same, you know, same, Dan, same thing you, you go, go I, ahead Mary vanderbilt yeah, but no my yeah. idea was like with a, a sequel to it follows we usher in a new era of shitty direct-to-video sequels <laughs> uh, like let's get the new Silent Night, Dead Nights fours and fives 
make it trashy as hell, lots of sex. Making, you want, it, it, it follows making, the toy maker. Making sequels to relatively prestigious, well-made horror movies, like but really low-rent, cheap ones. I think too that follows, I, it, and I agree with you guys. Like if they tried to make a serious sequel to it, it. it it would probably stink up the joint. However, I just love that movie so much. And I love that. Well, I, I love it. And I, 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 do. I, yeah. I, I love I hate it to the last the point, act, but I love that movie. Yeah. I love it to the point where I, ju- I I'm just kind of, I, I'm just curious what they would come up with. And I, I agree with you. It would, it would probably compromise the integrity of the original. If it was a serious thing and not a bunch of like, with Vanderbilt saying, I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see them just going really graphic with the sex and making them well, total skin and axe movies. Fest. Yeah, yeah. J- and that'd yeah. be fun. Turn it into the horror comedy. We they would heard. change the yeah. rules. Yeah, yeah. They, they would suddenly be like, oh, the only way to kill this monster is to fuck it to death. Yeah, <laughs> they would just keep doing it. But no, but, but I. I but you know, do I, the horror comedy and you bring in like Ron Jeremy. Well, not Ron Jeremy. He's in trouble now. But he's you bring out. in. Yeah. Bye bye. <laughs> You bring in like an adult film star. And yeah. It's yeah. like Abbott and Costello, except for Porto. Abbott and Costello meet Evan Stone or something. But like, but no. And so I, <laughs> I, I think that I just love that. I just love that movie so much. And I remember when they were talking about a sequel and I don't think it's going to happen anymore, but when they were talking about it and um, what's his name? David Mitchell, David Robert, Mitchell. Robert, Robert Mitchell. Mitchell. When he was saying, Oh, I have some ideas about the mythos. I agree with you. It would probably ruin it and take away the mystique. But at the same time, I'm just so curious because I love that movie so much. So yeah, that was, no, that was I love choice. it follows Dan. I, I'm with yeah. you. I mean, like, you know, if they made a sequel, would I see it? Yeah. Of course I'm going to go see <laughs> yeah. it. But the but my problem is is like, you know, they're either going to change the rules which betrays the first well, film or to be know, fair or, the movie itself betrays its own rules. Well, at the well end, that's what but, I'm saying. I mean, like it's like it's like it's already people already like love poking holes in that film already. Like good luck making a sequel where it makes any sense. <laughs> so that's not a prequel, and and guess what? We don't need any more prequels. I don't need to see <laughs> what the the entity was doing beforehand. What were they like working in a grocery store? Who cares? Stop trying to make these things not scary. A horny grocery store clerk. clerk. <laughs> you know, I, who knows? I don't. We don't know the origin, Justin. <laughs> My answer is actually a good segue into the next question. My uh-huh. answer is that I wish. Well, this isn't really recent, so look. I'm not a big fan of making sequels to a lot of the most recent horror movies, if I'm being 100% honest with you. But I wish that they had kept pumping out Tales from the Crypt movies in the 90s. And that leads us to our next question. Mac, I th- uh, you want to take this one? What were some of your favorite Tales from the Crypt episodes? This is Matthew DeLuna, by the way. The two that always stood out for Matthew were What's Cooking with Christopher Reeve and Television Terror with Morton Downey Jr., Love the show, and you're definitely my go-to horror movie podcast. Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, we, we're glad that that's true. <laughs> Not to be confused uh, with Michael DeLuca yeah. of New Line Cinema. I love Tales from the Crypt. I think two episodes that really stand out for me is Till Death. I think season two, or the one where the, you know, the guy's wife keeps coming back from the dead. Yeah, that's a good one. Hmm. And the one that sticks with me the most probably is literally the following episode, Three's a Crowd, where I was gonna mention this one. the jealous husband makes a terrible mistake. And I, I won't ruin it if you haven't seen it, but it is, oh. it is such a... Oh, just, ending's just brutal. <laughs> yeah, most Tales from the Crypts are really just funny, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Ooh, you know, like really, they get their comeuppance at the end. But that one is just depressing. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, dark. really good, though. I think about... Abracadaver all the time. It's it's mm. the one with Tony Goldwyn and Bill Bridges, in which you're in the head of somebody who is basically in a coma, 
but they're still seeing everything and feeling everything, and Oof. they're about to undergo an, an autopsy. I think about that all the time when it comes to, like, well, what really happens to us when we die? When Stephen do Hopkins. we really stop thinking about stuff? And, yeah, Stephen Hopkins directed that episode who did the the Dark Tower pilot yeah. recently, and he did, you know, Elm Street 5, Predator 2, a lot of Californication episodes. Thanks for that shout-out, Showtime. Uh, no free ads. <laughs> blown Away, and which is our favorite to mention on here, but the, never watch. One, not the Corey Haim, Corey Feldman Blown Away, the, uh, the other one. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> yep, same year, by the way, same title. <laughs> My second one would be a really mean and nasty one called Collection Completed with M. Emmett Walsh. And, you know, this is this real curmudgeon-y guy who's, who, starts to, uh, who starts to do um, taxidermy. And really great special effects makeup ending to that one. The season and, one finale for that. that oh, it was uh, the season one finale, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of good episodes, and I wish HBO would figure out the rights because I would binge. The, I don't binge shows, but I would just throw that on, just binge it. Binge it. By the way, M.M. at Walsh is still alive. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> like, you watch Camp Nowhere, and I know that I, I, there's millions of movies I could reference with him, but I went to Camp Nowhere. But he looks like... He's on his deathbed in Camp Nowhere, and like he's lived for like thirty more years, forty more years. Almost. It's fucking <laughs> wild. Like, I, I, you know, kudos. But it's funny that you mentioned the bingeable aspect of it because Sam and I really wanted to watch the episodes like last year during quarantine, or maybe the year before. I can't remember now at this point. Time is nothing. And we went to go get the first season. We actually were scouring everywhere for it, and then we finally found it at like the exchange. And then we went home and we watched like one or two episodes, and we're like, ah, oh, we'll go back to it. And then we haven't gone back. And it was just like, I think it's because this series really does like it doesn't pull its punches and so like they're macabre they're really they are like depressing sometimes like even the the, the, the fucking pilot is about you know like death sentence like i mean the death penalty like it's it's crazy like they the, kind of compiled the first four episodes into one movie right the first three premiered on the same night the one with joe pantoliano mm-hmm. which i love that one that's Sadler. one of my favorites that was like that, that cat's got a lot of lives or something like that it's like dig that yeah. cat yeah, dig that cat. He's got, yeah. Richard Donner. Um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the pedigree. Cutting Cards, that one, and the uh, All Through the House were the, the premiere. Oh, wow. There's a lot of good ones. But, yeah. Caffrey, have we ever really talked about Tales from the Crypt? You- no, I love Tales from the Crypt. What's funny, because I grew up watching the censored or edited versions on Fox, so I haven't really watched yeah. the HBO ones. So, so I mean, I it's like, up, it's like one of the last holdouts on HBO Max, I think, right? Yeah. But the episode, I don't even know if it's considered a classic episode, but it, I, I, it just always stuck with me. I actually rewatched it just a couple weeks ago. It's called Lower Birth, and it's a, it's at a sideshow, and it's yes. about this two-faced, two-headed man who falls in love with a mummy. And let's just hmm. say that, uh, we, we uh, see the origin of a very origin story, origin story of a very important character in Tales from the Crypt. And it, yeah, it's another one. It's actually not that campy. <laughs> it's pretty depressing. There's a lot of you know sideshow carnival. Oh, I remember that one. On. It's really good. Yeah. And it's no, it's funny is because. You know, we forget that these episodes, we, we forget how close they are to the EC comics, for, yeah. you know, Vault of Horror, yeah. um, Tales from the Crypt, et cetera. They're all based on, it wasn't it's, like they went original. They were all no, based and, on comics. And, I actually, and they would so, even go into like two-fisted tales sometimes, totally, like the yeah, other and, EC. It's, well, that, be, that uh, was going to be its own show, and a it's spinoff funny show because that ended up being absorbed by Tales from the Crypt when it didn't get picked up. I re- I actually read, I found, I mean, you can find PDFs of most of them online because they're so old. I found the Lower Birth one, and yeah, obviously the show is a little bit more graphic and a little bit darker, very 90s and everything, but it's pretty close to 
like the show is pretty close to the original lower birth tale which is only like eight pages you know and so it's it, it was funny watching the episode and then reading the source material all the way down to the ending which is the same in both and going man they really did stick close to the comic i think it's, i think the show as a whole is one of the most faithful adaptations to something so i just really love tales from the crypt I, once it's like on hbo max properly i'll probably go through and you know watch all of it Yes, they got some great filmmakers. Like, I mean, the producers were like Zemeckis, Walter Hill, Richard Donner, but they, right? I think. But then they expanded yeah. to like some really. I mean, like Michael J. Fox directs an episode. Kyle MacLachlan directs an one. There's, the, there's that clip of Tom Schwarzenegger Hanks. with the Crypt Keeper, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. My friend, the Crypt Keeper. Yeah, it's, it's great. Keeper. Well, Vanderbilt, what about you? Did you did you mention yours? The ones that really stick out are You Murderer, where they incorporated footage of Humphrey Bogart. Humphrey Bogart. Right? Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, the, the Reluctant Zemeckis. Vampire. Yeah, that was his Mechus one. And the Reluctant Vampire with Malcolm McDowell as the vampire who works at the uh, blood bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with that, guys, I've got to cut out. i got to cut out early of this episode. All right. Oh, he's leaving. All right, well, say, say goodbye. Goodbye, everybody. Thank goodbye, you. Goodbye, Mike Vanderbilt. We'll see him in, in our future episodes, obviously, as we go on. Take care. Yeah, so, take we'll care. talk to you for Scream 2. <laughs> All right. Bye. So let's go on to our next Question. Let's go, uh, Mike Roffin. Why don't you take this one? Buddy Baker asks, "What are your thoughts on Peter Jackson's Bad Taste? I think it's a fun watch with friends and alcohol. It would be a good addition to the rental feed." And that's he's referencing our Patreon one-off episodes that are very similar to our deep dives that we have here on the regular feed. And my short answer is, never seen it. <laughs> my short answer is also, I've never seen that, and I haven't yep. seen Meet the Feebles, and I haven't seen what was the one that got nailed because it was a like a really bad adaptation oh lovely uh, bones lovely bones yeah Ooh. yeah that's a it's a rough watch <laughs> and everything else decent decent book i have seen meet the feebles i love meet the feebles hey i'm a muppet head right i'm trying to think i think i've seen every peter jackson well every every um non-documentary peter jackson movie other than the lovely bones and bad taste unfortunately i know there's a bad taste mask in meet the feebles in the studio audience where they show all the puppets watching you see someone wearing the bad taste mask yeah i haven't seen it matt what about you mac have you seen it i've seen meet the feebles and uh, king kong but i haven't <laughs> seen bad taste so like buddy this would be a good rental <laughs> because i think everybody would be really interested in watching it here's uh, here's the big question do you think vanderbilt who just had to, to bowl. I guarantee. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah, we should ask this question first. Yeah, I wish we had a better answer for you. But yeah. I think, well, I got some good news for everybody. Bad Taste is currently on Tubi. Oh, Tubi. Right, nice. Tubi's I watched, great. I watched Love Angus Tubi. for the God. first time on Tubi just one night ago. Great <laughs> so, soundtrack. I, I thought yeah. the movie was pretty. I mean, some of it doesn't hold up well without just like the gender dynamics, but it. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I thought it had a lot of heart. Loved the soundtrack. Loved the main character. I like the side character. Hollywood will often forgets him, but he was in The Conjuring. George C. Scott. Um, no. He's good in that movie. <laughs> yeah. I like. Who was the actor that played his mother? Ka, 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 Kathy Batts, ka. I think. Kathy Batts. Oh, yeah. Kathy Batts. Good. So, yeah. To answer your question, buddy, Angus holds up great soundtrack. I think <laughs> um, we're all there. I love it. I will be sure uh, to check out Bad Taste yeah, on we, TV. No, we should, and, we, and we're sorry we don't have a better answer for that question. We, I we saw, I like a, Heavenly Creatures is very good. I love Heavenly that. Creatures. I love The Frighteners. I mean, I, I, Peter Jackson's got a good run, man. I, I yeah. Hey, love the Lord of the Rings movies. He, he went, he went the road of James Cameron and got obsessed with stuff that yeah. could have stopped 20 years ago. You like know? Hobbit 4. Hobbit, three Hobbit movies. There was, yeah, anyway, a lot. I liked, I liked uh, King Kong 2005, though. I, I still stand for that film. I think it doesn't get enough credit. I love it. I've fallen asleep to two movies in theaters, Waterworld 
and King Kong 2005. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, you missed you missed some great action ears. Uh, well, I woke up at the end when they were when they were skating during a climax for 25 minutes. All right, well, that uh, seems kind of sucks. Hey, I but, fell asleep but, during the Friday the 13th remake. <laughs> I got, I got notes from Peter Jackson. Hey, listen, babe. Great finale. Let's uh, cut down the, the goofy. Here, I'm slipping I, on ice. I got a hot take. Uh, Lord of the Rings movies. 10 out of 10, Fellowship of the Ring. Uh, 8 out of 10, uh, Two Towers. And uh, 6.5 out of 10 for Return of the King. That's me right there. Wait, so. you, you said Fellowship of the Ring at 8 out of 10? No, no. Fellowship is 10-10. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, a 10 course. out of 10. Yeah, Diamond movie. I think Two Towers, 8 out of 10. And I would put 6.5 to 7 out of 10 for uh, Return of the King. I don't, All think, than King I don't think that's I a hot take. I, I, don't, I think people mostly love Fellowship. I think they get I mean, I love those movies. They get worse as they go on, but they're still yeah. great, though. I love them. Great. I read the novel for the first time ever last year. Oh, and, amazing. And, uh, Holds up so great. Well. Oh, is that great the movie stuff. tie-in, uh, Lord of the Rings movie? The no- it was a novelization. <laughs> I was answering <laughs> your question. A great novelization. Somebody named J.R.R. Tolkien did the novelization of Peter Jackson. Uh, weird. Okay, let's do our next question here. I'll do this one from Mike Kidwell. Pretty good one. And I think, okay, what horror movie had the biggest gap between what it could have been and how it actually turned out? Put another way, which movie had the best concept that was poorly executed? I my answer is and I'm sure it's gonna upset people out there. George Romero called them the true trolls. <laughs> That's what George Romero says. Real trolls. I think that some of the ideas in the movie Day of the Dead are great, you know. But to paraphrase Al Pacino and Justice for All, uh, in practice they suck, you know. Do it as Al Pacino like, though. Okay. Uh Day of the Dead. <laughs> Already 75 in Injustice for All. Uh, he's looking back, you know. <laughs> well, you know, Romero, Day of the Dead, in theory, is commendable. But in practice, it sucks. Sucks! <laughs> Day of the Dead, incredible special effects, undeniable. The best special effects of the series. Right? Maybe the whole genre. Uh, yeah, the finale when, 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 when people's heads are being torn off and then they're doing Ooh. like their vocal cords are expanding. Oh, the vocal cords, that thing gets brilliant. But the movie, the problem with that movie is, is that all the characters suck. And I feel like rewatching 28 Days Later, they solve that problem. And I know it's probably blasphemous to people, but you care about the surviving trio and what they have to contend with with the army, as opposed to you don't really care about the trio or the quartet and Day of the Dead and what they have to deal with with the army. You're just annoyed by them. So that's to me, is why I, I think Day of the Dead fails personally i agree no 100 percent, justin i've been re-watching it a lot lately just because i have pluto tv on in the background sammy wakes up every morning it's like oh day of the dead again and um, i'm like yeah it's another it's day. a good background watch because i love the score even though the score doesn't really jive with the movie that well i agree that that it's it's such a bizarre movie because every character just fucking hates each other but then there's like yeah. this implied sort of connection with a lot of them even with like the lead the, the romance the romance between like the lead and you, her boyfriend like what like pairings i've ever seen in a, yes. in a movie <laughs> there's no chemistry there just none and like I, like because sammy and I, I think she's seen it like piecemeal and she's like and she's a huge fan of don I mean, who wasn't? Love Dawn of the Dead. 10 but out of 10. She watches it. And she's like, oh, is that her like uh, her boyfriend or her lover? And I was like, I couldn't even tell you. Like, I, I think so. I mean, I think that's the, the implication here. But, like, he just lays in bed and he acts like an asshole throughout the whole movie. Like, I just, I don't know. It's a very. Well, there's, a great, there's a great line of, of, of dialogue that makes you unintentionally laugh. Because that actor in that, whoever plays that part, he, the guy who ends up chopping off his arm to not become yeah. a zombie. There's a line he gets so dramatic, and, and we used to do this in high school. So what? So fucking what? Yes. 
Awful. Uh, okay. So yeah, Mike and I think we're on the same page there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. What about you, Mackenzie Gerber? I read this differently. When I read the question, I was thinking in terms of, I thought that what they were asking was what was the biggest gap in terms of from the original movie to the sequel. Oh no no no! Well, you, why don't you answer that question? That's a fun. That's a fun question. And so I was going to say the Lost Boys, because that, that's yeah. a sequel. That sequel. Yeah. <laughs> but that's God. a sequel that like I had always wanted as a kid. I had always mm. felt like there was so much more you could do with that concept, or like you know, there's I, like I would still I would. Hey, I'd still love to see a, sequ- uh, a, a true blue sequel to it. Uh, in many ways, uh, just something just something that happens to take place in the same area. <laughs> That's by what I mean by sequel. Yeah, it's shelf life because we always hear about these things like, oh, this movie's going to be made and, and the director's coming back, and it's like, yeah, but this director hasn't made a good movie in thirty years. It's one of those things where, like, the, when the Lost Boys sequel came out, it was over. Yeah, it was over. I mean, I love the Lost Boys, but. It was 20 years later. It was straight to video. It was cheap. But we were wrong because it spawned another sequel after that. The tribe. one, yeah. Oh, the Oof. tribe and... I forgot what the fuck it's Do called. Do you remember when they had that shitty cover of Cry Little Sister in the trailer also? Oh, uh, really? Yeah. It's not good. I remember renting that when I first moved here. Hmm. And it was like on video on demand, which, you know, at that time was not a good thing. And it gets to the end and a certain character appears and I just was like, okay. So depressing. <laughs> God. It's like Corey Feldman in a really bad wig with a bandana yeah. around him. It's just a nightmare. Kathy, what about you? I don't know if it's a full-on horror movie, but this is the one that came to mind for me was Lady in the Water by M. Night Shyamalan. I was so mm-hmm. excited when that movie came out. I still think the effects are great. I love the core concept of it, of finding these imaginary, almost fairy tale creatures in this other land. But it gets so bogged down in... It almost feels like a puzzle piece. Like, oh, who's playing each role in the story? It just gets so convoluted and becomes so much more about that in me- up to these corresponding story roles than the actual horror of it. I mean, I don't know, because I don't know if that's considered a full-on horror movie, but I think it could be a really, really scary full-on horror movie if it if it's just had different priorities than it does. Hey, stay, stay on that same page and go back with his previous project with The Village. I mean, oh, that yeah. movie yeah. on paper should have been great, even though in the trailer, when I saw the trailer, I was like, oh, and I said the twist out loud, <laughs> and then it happened, and I yeah. started walking out of the theater. But... That's a movie that should it looks great. The mm-hmm. cast is fucking incredible. Probably the last great, excellent A-list top to bottom cast that he had. Ooh, man, the execution on that. It's just like little things like the turns are just like they fuck the movie up yeah. so bad. J- like, Justin, I know Justin and I have talked about this before. I th- still think how that movie could have been salvaged at the end is that okay, you they talk about how the you know, the villagers made up the monsters, blah, blah, blah. But they do say, oh, well, they were based on real tales that we heard. Yep. And then there's that scene where Bryce Dallas Howard is getting stalked by the creature in the woods, and you see it. And when I thought in the theaters, I'm like, oh, they make you think the twist made the monster up, but then the other mm-hmm. twist is that they exist. And then yeah. once it starts running, you realize it's Adrian Brody in the suit, and you're like, oh, man. I think uh, that I they know. just kept the, the twist being that, oh, we thought the monsters were fake and we made them up, but they were actually real. If that had been like a double twist, I think that movie could have worked really well and stayed yep. scary. I said that from from first moment I watched that movie. Yeah, because there's that weird moment where the camera is only on Sigourney Weaver and William Hurt, and they're talking about like what's doing this in the village, like what's what's skinning all these animals and leaving it around. And we're supposed to believe that Adrian Brody, who like is something's <laughs> yeah. wrong with him, like, like he's able to do this undetected around the entire village. Anyways, 
yeah, I, I, I actually really dig most of that movie. It's just the ending is just like totally, uh, just the, 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 the shoehorn of M. Night in the reflection where it's yeah. like, oh, pull us out of the movie even further with another oh, M. Night oh, cameo yeah, yeah. I forgot about at that one part. of the most crucial moments Fuck. of the film as well. Like, come on, can't you just be Alfred Hitchcock and just walk by a window somewhere earlier on in the or movie? Like, even with the sixth sense where he's a doctor, that's fine. Yeah. He leaned into the twist being everything, yeah. and that's you can't yeah. do that. He always yeah. compared himself to Hitchcock with the cameo thing. I'm like, no, no, Hitchcock, like you have to like it's like a blink and you miss it cameo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like oh, I'm just like walking deal. dogs in Psycho, like outside. It took me years to find him in Psycho. He's actually outside the, the office yeah. with a cowboy hat on. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. It took me years. Like, I couldn't find them. Yeah. So, if if know, M. Night just... was doing Psycho, he, he would have been the, the guy at the end that explains everything. <laughs> you have been a psychiatrist. You yeah. know what? You see the, the mind. I, I got to say, I, I've i been consistently fascinated by his career. I actually liked Glass a lot more than pe- other people did. I, I do think Damn, he's I thought that was mm, one of the worst. You think, I don't know, oh. man. I, I He's doing something. I like how he's become kind of more idiosyncratic and trying to do something different again. I, I think maybe he just needs to not write his own movies i agree yeah because he, yeah, he has an eye That's he has an amazing point. eye an amazing eye. i've been interested in his career he's a filmmaker and like i said Gla- glass to me was still i mean <laughs> love it or hate it definitely not what anyone would have expected i think from an unbreakable it felt like it was made during the pandemic yeah it really does <laughs> yeah. it That's does cheap and low budget it felt I, I, I dug it i thought it was i mean I it's not my favorite but i i, I like it okay I, it was i liked it's here's the thing i agree dan because he keeps pulling me back because like when he did the visit i was like okay this is good. I like yeah, this. I like, I like what the, I like where this is going. I think it's genuinely chilling in moments, and the twist definitely got me. And I actually like Split, except when it gets into the connective tissue, and you're like, why do we do this? But I don't know. I, I still think he's he can do it. I, th- I think that he's one of the, the filmmakers where, look, say what you will about a lot of his career, but like he still gave us some exceptional films. Like I love Science. I love Sixth Sense. I actually I really love Unbreakable still. I still think it's one of the I ones that deserves. I think that's his best. I think I love Unbreakable. Mm. But you look at his new project, and he is working from some sort of source material. So I have a lot of high hopes for Old, which is coming out this summer. So I still am always going to go see his movies. It's kind of like what you were saying with Halloween. Mm -hmm. It's like as crazy as that franchise gets, you're always still interested to see what happens. It's the same way with M. M Night Shyamalan. Like Neil Young. Always always listen to Neil Young. It's always the Neil Young of filmmakers. (laughs) Fool me me five times, you know? Fool me five times. He wants to do this next question. Yeah, who wants to read that? Yeah, Matt, go for uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you say this? Boom, bitty, bye, bye. Boom, 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 bitty, yeah. bye, bye. Boom, bitty, bye, bye. Boom. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Bye, bye. Grow, growing up, everyone I knew loved watching Monster Squad, even though the classic horror, classic monsters, monster films weren't very relevant anymore. Ignoring all the copyright problems, how would you see Monster Squad two playing out, featuring the new horror icons? Freddy is obviously perfect for the new leader Dracula role, even have a Jason redemption like Frankenstein, and obviously a Stephen King rule shirt has to make an appearance. Well, boom, bitty, (laughs) bye-bye. I personally don't think I see this working with new villains. I don't think there's ever... I I don't... There hasn't been anything quite like the Universal Monsters where I believe anyone would be following like a specific leader in, in that realm of new guys, but here we go anyways. I think Pinhead is the new Dracula. I agree. I think that he's the new Dracula, I not think, Freddy. I think he's searching for the box. That's the new amulet. Mm. You have a scientist trying to uncover the secrets of the box by attempting to deconstruct it with the pods, a la the fly. Wow, this is really in-depth. Do you have... Uh, the creature from the Black Lagoon character would be like Pumpkinhead. It's like a creature. Mm. 
you have the new werewolf plot would be Ash. You'd have you'd bring Ash into it, and he would be like, but it would be Ash like constantly turning into the deadite. So sometimes he's oh, good, I like that, and sometimes mm. he's turning into the deadite. And then for the mummy, who's like the most inconsequential in that, I, I don't know, maybe just, like, An- get Annabelle in there. Or something. Okay. <laughs> I don't know, get some new representation. I, I was trying to think of something, but and then and then the spin on the kids would be a commentary on how. Very much like our, our podcast, a lot 30, 40 somethings, obsessed with the horror, still believing that these things exist and no one believes us, which I think would be funny. But I, I you know what, Mac? I'm not even give my answer. I know, that's a great answer. Because that's yeah. a really good answer. And that's, you, we went much more in depth than I did. I was just literally assigning last year people from the last 40 mm-hmm. years into the replacing basically the roles of the people from the I mean I, I think Mac brings up a good point in that with Monster Squad those archetypes are so much more universal and ubiquitous than Literally universal. Like the werewolf the vampire <laughs> the Frankenstein's monster even the creature in a way they they seem like almost less specific than you know the 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 horror villains we're talking about I think the idea of of just doing Monster Squad with you know because what the, all those guys they're talking about are like what 30 40 years old at this point which is about what the universal monsters were yeah, I would I would probably cut it off like before, you know, Jigsaw and Scream and things like that. So, I mean, if we just had to pick the big bads, I mean, I would just I would just go as famous as you can. And for me, that's always been, yeah, Pinhead, Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, and probably Leatherface. I feel like those are kind of the, like, <laughs> the LeBron James tattoos, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. This, this week. <laughs> but I like Max's idea of, like, just making the plot so specific. Yeah, that's, I think that's the definitive answer. I, I think that if you wanted to bring back the original Freddy, you know, Robert England and the original Freddy, like there's only been two. But if you want to bring back Robert England, I think this is honestly the best way to do like some sort of pseudo sequel because mm. I just think this would be really fitting to the actual Nightmare franchise and to have this be his like end cap to the Dream Demon that in a way that he wasn't really able to do. I mean, because if you think about it, it's just his last thing is the Goldbergs. <laughs> and then before that, it's Freddy versus Jason. I feel like this would be like a really nice emotional, like son of, you know, obviously still be kind of scary and stuff, but like I think this would be like a, a fun nod to that era and a, and a good final chapter. So I would almost like see it as like a way to, to kind of tailor in that aspect as well. I don't know. I, I actually am really excited about that idea. I think that it, it's ridiculous that they don't do that. Like, why not? I mean, that's just, especially in this day and age where IP crosses over like it's fucking Super Mario All-Stars. Like, I, I just go for it. I mean, I think, I think the thing that makes Monster Squad work so well for me, though, is because you have all these, these classic horror monsters that have been played by billions of other people. You know what I mean? Like, over time. So... So you're not like so married. You're married to the concept of Dracula, but not necessarily who's playing him. Whereas this is harder because unless you get the actors that played the, you know, especially like Freddie, you know, like you, you said, have get, you'd have to get England. Yeah. You, it's it's so specific to that. It's harder to do. You can't just say it's like a dream like, you know, it's it's a Freddie type character or something. It would have to be the actual people which i think is really difficult especially rights wise to get all of when, those it, yeah i was gonna thing, say because for monster squad i mean frankenstein and dracula are specific characters but they were both in the public domain too you know it's hard like mm-hmm. you once again yeah the idea of the archetype is much more general than <laughs> the cenobite <laughs> or uh, whatever else you want to call it i mean they've tried to replace bradley but you know Ooh, you, yeah. uh not great results yeah. for me at least curious over here Mike, did you answer that, or, did you, or are you with me? Where Mike, where Max answer is kind of oh just yeah, the, definitive there. Yeah, I, I just the, the only thing I could think of was just the the nightmare sequel. Mm. Maybe even get Tommy McLaughlin to write it because obviously he has like a 
a good grip and grasp on that era for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, put it out there. Make it happen. I know. <laughs> That's something imaginative, like Vanderbilt was saying, that you want to really go for it. It's not even meta. It's just a different, yeah. totally different spin on the idea, you know? I'll just do this one. Brock Bagnell. This was kind of answered earlier by a couple people, but let's do this one. Brock Bagnell says, you have spoken several times about movie novelizations, good and bad. Do you have a favorite movie novelization? So, yeah, Mike, you mentioned earlier the Halloween novelizations are pretty strong. Mm-hmm. They, they, they capture a lot of tension and structure. They don't feel like they're just being cut and paste from the screenplay, right? They feel like there's actual, it feels like a novel with proper chapters and, and proper, you know, whatever. How about that? How in depth was that? <laughs> but for me, I gotta say, I feel like I've mentioned this on either Halloween's Happy Hour and Instagram Live or other podcasts. You have to read the Jaws of the Revenge novelization. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's based on the original script, which has to do with a, and this is just what they, they were categorized in the book. A voodoo priestess is upset at Mike Brody disturbing the local sea life and puts a curse on him, which then, and we go into the mind of the shark. And so the, the shark <laughs> is cursed by this voodoo curse to attack and kill the Brodies, which is, that explains why the shark follows the Brodies from New York all the way down to Bahamas, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, it kind of makes, makes more sense in the movie. In it may, it's it's it really, awful, but it makes sense. But, and they also have a subplot where, where Michael Caine's character of Hoagie is actually doing a lot of, I think, drug smuggling. So it's a whole subplot with, with drug smugglers and voodoo and you're in the mind of the shark a lot. It is insane. But it's, it's so fun to read. Like, I, can't, I, I almost wish I had seen this movie because it would have been such a disaster. And you could build on that insanity if you look at the Jaws Wikipedia, which somehow, and we got a fucking, we were all tickled by this on the text thread, somehow links the Jaws series with the Halloween franchise. You know, there's a lot of crossover connected tissue there with, uh, obviously, with Universal's, you know, handling of Halloween 2. Of course, Halloween 2 and Jaws Revenge. Yeah, and the dentist, too. It's difficult. It's difficult. But I, I, it it is so (laughs) insane that I, 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 we, I had this when we sent it. We were all just kind of baffled that, like, wow, this is some bizarre fra- fan fra- fiction. Can't really go into it too much, but it, it has to do with like Smith's Grove, and it's wild. It's wild. Just go look for it. Go look. Long story short, uh, Bruce the Shark was in a straight jacket at Smith's Grove <laughs> Sanitarium, flopping <laughs> hey, around. My favorite novelization. I mean, we touched on the syllabary, but um, is is specifically the Halloween Two one because it was written by Dennis Etchinson. Mm-hmm. With yeah, and I think what he does really well in that is he. The way he depicts Michael Myers is that he's almost this super presence who's sucking all the light out of the hospital. Like they, he talks mm-hmm. about the blackout scene happening, and I like it. Be, and this makes sense knowing Dennis Etchison's work. I like it because it's not overtly supernatural, but there's just enough there to hint that there might be something bigger going on. And he, he described Michael quite as a human throughout. And I also thought of the original Star Wars novelization. It's not horror, but. What was cool about that back in the day is because before we had the internet, you would hear about these deleted scenes, you know, with Biggs, was it Dark Light, Dark, Dark, Dark Light or whatever, his friend, yeah. his friend Biggs, and you would hear about, you know, seeing more close-ups of the stormtroopers riding the dewbacks, but you didn't really get to see that unless you, <laughs> <laughs> I love those dewbacks. The only place you got to really see that, was, or the job of the hut scene, was in the Marvel Comics adaptation, and then it was, in, it was described really well in the actual novelization, so those are the ones that stand out to me. I was going to ask Mac, because I know, Mac, didn't you read, like, when The Phantom Menace came out, didn't you read the novelization, or am I misremembering this? I owned it. I owned it. I don't think I read it. Um, <laughs> if go. I did read it, it, it like a true it's, book collector. it's lost on me. But I will say, I think my, my favorite novelization is probably um, 
when Michael Crichton adapted Sphere from the film. Uh, <laughs> Based on his own, the novelization of his own <laughs> film. Wasn't, wasn't Congo pitched as, didn't he like pitch it as a movie first in the 70s and then it, it didn't probably work did, out because so in the, the, in the 70s he wrote and directed Westworld, which is yeah. a really great sci-fi movie. Really intense, which basically inspired the Terminator. I mean, technically, and, The Lost World is a sequel that he wrote because of the movie was so successful. Yeah, and, and then the he movie wrote has nothing with, to do with the book. Yeah, which is so maddening because he literally wrote it in mind to be as cinematic and actionable as possible. When he, and they, he retconned Malcolm, like, flat out fucking yeah. dies. In the yeah. yeah, he's yeah. like, well, the doctors did amazing uh, works or amazing results. <laughs> it's the most, like, superfluous fucking answer ever. There you go. Yeah, Sphere. Good answer, Mac. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Who wants to take this next question? I've already. Uh, I'll. Uh, uh, I'll yeah, go for you. Like Chris Cameron, Chris yeah, This is a good question. The, the, these questions are just fantastic throughout. I think yeah. this is from Chris Cameron. Growing up in an age of the Sci-Fi Channel at its peak, I have a certain affinity for the creature feature genre. So do I, Chris. Or so do all. So do we all. What are some of your favorite creature features? Even if the love purely comes from how bad they are, Lake Placid and Deep Blue Sea come to mind for me. I, I like both those as well. You know, I yeah, I love a creature feature. If the monster's good, I'm going to be there for it, even if the rest of the movie sucks. But the one that I rewatched really recently, I thought it held up really well, and it's just really fun in a 90s kind of way is uh, The Relic. Not the... Mm. There's a new movie, Relic, yeah. right? But I, I really enjoyed The Relic. I liked watching it, having lived in Chicago for a while and been in the Field Museum and have having had, like, a company holiday party there and everything. I think the design looks great. You know, I, I, I like the campiness of, of the villain. It, I like that it just becomes full-on ultimate monster movie by the end of it. Yeah, is it going to... Should it win Oscars or anything? No, but I do think the, it does the monster right. What about the rest of you, though? I, I think Tom... Well, it's... Uh, the run that Tom Sizemore was on in the '90s is unbelievable. And it's yeah. it for me. It's like the ultimate cautionary tale. Yeah, it's was he like, in Mimic also? I don't even know about. I'm saying like all the like the movies that he was in in the '90s are unbelievable. Oh, just the, oh, like, just in general, not creature in features. general, like Natural Born Killer. I forgot, but he, yeah, he was the the co lead in the Relic with Penelope and Miller. He's good he's in Peter it too. He, play, he plays a great. He plays a great kind of disgruntled cop. He's great, but um, for me, the big creature feature that comes to mind that I think is genuinely really good is. Chuck Russell's remake of The Blob. Oh, yeah. oh good choice. Yeah. Excellent movie. Which I think we covered on the Losers Club. Good. Right? Okay, I can't remember if it was Losers Club in December. Just terrific. It's lost none of its impact on me. Incredible effects, mostly practical. Real, really disgusting. Doesn't pull its punches at all. Like, it's unforgiving in it's a lot of ways. It's pretty nihilistic, too. I mean, given the oh, people yeah. who die in the movie, yeah, it's, it's excellent. But it's it's still a fun movie, which is, which is pretty impressive, considering, like you said, yeah. how unforgiving and certain people who die in it. That's my short answer, is, is the remake of The Blob. I believe the original can be found on HBO Max. More plugs for HBO Max. Let's go. <laughs> Some of that money. Yeah. What, uh, about what about you, Mac? I had The Blob on there, but I, I'm i going back to like my childhood, and even though it wasn't like your standard sci-fi stuff, frogs. <laughs> and yeah. Young Sam Elliott. It, it's, I can't remember the movie that well, but I just remember being very disturbed by it as a child. And then also uh, Them, Giant Ants uh, flick. Oh, wow. There you go. You're going back, yeah. Those are two old ones, but those are like... Classics. There's a scene from Frogs I remember vividly where it's not just the frogs that turn. It's like all of nature is turning on these people in this small cabin area. And there's it's like this guy swimming casually. And you see like this water moccasin swimming, a real water moccasin swimming, like catching up to him. Even to this day, like that—that that puts me off from swimming in anything that's not a pool or an ocean. Like it's just 
freaks me out. And, a, and it's a mustacheless Sam Elliott, which is kind of freaky. Ooh, that's freaky. <laughs> that is freaky. Well, I think he's mustacheless and justified. Yeah, he is. But uh, he's really good in that show, too. Mike, what about you? I, I I really appreciate the recent run of like survival horror flicks. Mm-hmm. I just love any survival narrative, and especially in horror. Loved 2019's Crawl. That was like probably one of my favorite oh, movies. So that year. Was a pretty fun movie. Yeah. Yeah. Top five for me in that year. And then um, I also really like the... I, I love Killer Croc movies. So like I love Blackwater from 2007. Mm-hmm. Oh, excellent. And I, and I really like Rogue. The Suicide Squad. Yeah, the, 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 the Suicide Squad. It's a good Pretty one. Much a you know, killer like, Croc. It is true. It's, and Killer Croc is in there. But yeah, no, the, these two from 2007, I, I think they're, they're kind of based on the same story that actually happened in, I believe, Australia. But they're just, they're very real. They're very, I love watching people try to figure things out. You know, it's why I like Breaking Bad. It's why I like a lot of, you know, like I mentioned All is Lost earlier. And these movies do that while also giving you some sort of like really nasty creature. And they're believable. You know, like mm. the, the creature, like, I mean, Crawl's a little sensationalistic just because the, the the gators and that are just or the the I think they're gators or the crocs I can't remember I think it's gators, I think gators, gators is it's in Florida yeah they, they just you know it's it's but it still has that sort of like grounded realism to it that it's that's mm-hmm. like legit terrifying but God I love those movies so much like give me more of those yeah I, I, I don't really care how redundant they are I feel like <laughs> Blackwater and the same guy did the Reef which I also love Black Blackwater, I like the Reef a lot too Blackwater yeah. and the Reef both yeah they both feel like they're minimal they're they're both thrilling but still really realistic like oh what would it would actually be like to be dealing with a, an alligator or a shark no. in the wild there's it's a different director there's one called backcountry it's about a bear that i also really love mm. and hey if we're talking killer croc movies the og alligator john, written by john sales directed by lewis teague oh, yeah. excellent another good Robert chicago, Forster. chicago horror movie and i you know and this is the last one i say because i know i know i know it's getting long in the tooth on this episode but uh i mm. i really like the movie ghosts in the darkness uh val kilmer and michael douglas yeah it's not getting enough love i don't think it's never saw it yeah and hey connecting all this you can see those lions in real life in the field museum which is where the relic takes place so mm. have yourself a little creature feature horror tour and go to the field museum i thought you were saying that they were still alive roaming the field <laughs> museum in Chicago. they actually don't because they just had the skins and they, they weren't really well maintained so that they had the skins and they're wrapped around just you know lion sculptures of the field does museum. it look like like those raptors that are breaking down on the jurassic park ride like where like the the fake skins falling oh, off Lord, and they're robots so underneath yeah uh <laughs> Yeah. That's those are good answers. There's a lot of good ones out there, especially recently. I I like what you yeah. said about Crawl. Pretty fun movie. Love creature features. Fascinating subplot with that. They really leaned into the whole swimming subplot, didn't they though? <laughs> Crawl. They really do, yeah. <laughs> this, let's do a couple bonus questions here from other uh social media followers that we have. Sean Lane, would be a quick one actually. Have any of the Halloweenies seen the wrong turn reboot? It's a wild ride. I have not, but I have heard people saying that it's actually pretty good. Yeah. And I was stunned because I, yeah. I only saw the first one on a really a misleading blind date. You know <laughs> when say, you, it was always work out right. Yeah. You know when you're like when you show up and like this isn't the person that you showed me you were. It was one of those dates, yeah. but I was there. I wasn't just gonna run away, you know. So <laughs> we watched Wrong Turn uh, in her living room, and the whole movie I was like, I gotta get out of here. That's all I could think about the entire movie. I like, I like <laughs> the first one okay. I thought it was all right. I, yeah, I didn't think it was no. that good from what I remember of it. I haven't seen the remake That's, either. But I'll probably see it when I don't have to pay like five bucks for it. I'll, I'll, yeah. It'll be on streaming, I'm sure, eventually. Anybody else seen this? I haven't. I, I, saw, I saw, like you, I saw the original one, not on a bad blind date, but just on a date. It was uh, forgettable. <laughs> 
Yeah, it was just another. It was a bad yeah. period of horror. That really yeah. weird. Where, where are we? We're kind of in between the slasher reboot and torture porn. Like, what are we doing? That's, I think it came out like the like. spring too. Like one of those like March releases where you're just kind of like yeah. you know, oh, let's go see this on Friday. No, I, right. I should mention I've seen all the sequels. Have you really? Oh, no, God, no, no, no. I can't even imagine those. I, you know, I love our fans. Like, they, they know our blind spots, and they like calling us out on these uh-huh. things. They really do. <laughs> I have no regrets. This, may, this makes me want to watch that, but it also makes me kind of want to go back and watch the originals, you know, because I, I, I never – it's a blind spot in my in my history. Well, know, to be so fair, I've, I've gone back and, like, I rewatched all the, the Leprechaun movies. I've been watching the Amityville <laughs> sequels. Yeah. Kind of, like, almost comfort watches because you don't have to think too hard. And it kills 90 minutes They're not too time, long, you know? usually. They're pretty short. Yeah, they're short. This is a good one. This I might be the only one who knows the answer to this, but go ahead. <laughs> Jerry Bagels asks, okay, which do the Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast, prefer? Ball Break or The, mutila- the Mutilator? <laughs> Justin, go for it. Very good. Very fun question because uh, this is one of those movies from the 80s that has like 18 different titles. And it just depends on where it was distributed and how it came out and everything else. So the movie The Mutilator which you can find on, I think it's still on Shudder. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Really nasty. On Tubi. Yeah, God bless Tubi. Really nasty slasher movie about this father gone wild, as a, as a word, starts killing off his son's friends at this retreat, beach retreat. But it's called The Mutilator. And all of a sudden you're watching it, and this bright blue title card pops across the screen. It says, Fall Break, which was the original <laughs> title. And it's complete with a like this peppy sitcom esque song called Fall Break <laughs> that has the kids drive into the the beach cabin. It reminds me of that scene in Wet Hot American Summer <laughs> when they're when they're going off into town, you know, get gone, get set, baby. <laughs> it's like that. Uh, it's so jarring. Anybody at home, just find it and watch the first it's five minutes of the movie. It's just very funny, and I think that person we're on the same wavelength. When it comes to the, uh, but uh, listen for me, it will always be called the Mutilator with that weird title card or fall break. God, <laughs> song. I haven't, I have not seen. Well, I guess it's just one movie. I've not seen that movie. Rothman and Mac. Or the special effects. It's really nasty. Um, Classic Cooper and Douglas film. What can I say? And that that person has a weird life. Yeah. And in a fun way. There's a there's a you talk about a documentary, which I think was actually made about the person who made that movie. There you go. That's just a teaser for you. I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. That's the wrap on the Tricks and Treats bag. How about that? Well, uh, everybody, thank you so much for listening to us. I just got word that the mutilator actually got to Mike Vanderbilt, which is why he had to leave early. We wish him all the best (laughs) on his fall break. (laughs) Sorry, Mike. He's on his fall break right now, blasting that great theme song. And for for the first time, uh, listeners, we hope you've enjoyed what you've heard. What we've got coming up this month, we're going to be doing Scream 2. The three of us plus a special guest. And if you like what you heard and you can't get enough, definitely check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com backslash Halloweenies pod. This is an opportunity for us to give out some plugs. So, Mac. We've got a music project called Number Six, and we've got a, an EP titled Monster Movie that's actually coming out. Hmm. Dan Caffrey's feature, featured, uh, uh, not featured on a song, but uh, definitely gets one of the writing credits. <laughs> I, uh, I meant to tell you, because I, I know you, thanks for sending the advanced tracks. They're great. I, I'll send you a more specific text. I, they're, they're excellent. I, yeah. I have them on my on my computer, and I really enjoy them. Behind the music over but here. That, yeah. uh, that will great. be found on uh, at uh, 
Number6.bandcamp.com, I I'm believe. Is, that, and is the number six spelled out? Or is number it just six spelled out. And okay. and then shortly after that, hopefully it'll start popping up on um, you know all the streaming sites like Spotify and Apple and everything. So, yeah. I'm excited because I know you do a cover of Fall Break. Yeah, we do. We, that's the first track, and uh, May May Schultz, who's our editor, uh, is also featured on that. It's our it's our little side project band for sure. Dan Caffrey, what about you? You can read Radio FA Radio Radio Radiohead FAQ wherever books are sold right now. Mm. Um, I also I'll, I'll probably post more about this as we get closer. Uh, Play mine is its own creature feature called the Amphibians. That's about two girls who discover a giant monster in the swamps of. I was having a virtual reading through UCF's Pegasus Play Lab. I should have it. So I, <laughs> I know that I know it runs throughout the month of May and June. I think the exact dates for my plays are it's June 18th, 19th of this year. So I'll, it's still kind of far away. I'll talk about that as we get closer. But you can. It was supposed to be in person. Obviously, couldn't happen that way. It is happening online now. Is that so the the University of Central Florida? It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, uh, my they old have it. stomping grounds. Uh, and trust me, we're all Floridians. A lot of amphibians. Florida. <laughs> I think it's going to land really well there. I think it's going to This is a different kind of amphibian. Than Ooh, uh, so, yeah, but it's, okay. uh, yeah, no, I'm really excited about it. Obviously, it'd be cool to do it in person, but I'm, I'm thankful they've done it online. But yeah, I'll post more about that as we get closer to it. Mike Rothman. Well, you know, just uh, keeping things going with uh, the Losers Club. We got a ton of content that's coming out in May and where to begin. We just finished our Dark Tower pilot review uh, mm. and also have our Glenn Mazzara interview that's exclusive to our Patreon. And uh, coming up, we're going to be talking a lot more about the Dark Tower because we have an episode we're going to be unlocking that's about the Crimson King. Uh, that's from our Patreon from last year that we'll be putting in the regular feed. And then we are going to be covering Wizard and Glass, which many dub the best Dark Tower book so it's good that's a big up big up and mac you're on that that's so right very excited you are a uh, katat a katet head uh, or a, a dark tower head as we always say <laughs> yeah we're all on the losers club so you can yeah catch us in, uh, <laughs> well, we should have mentioned that too saving the best for last <laughs> yeah it's a twitter podcast <laughs> this was initially a, a spinoff of the yeah. losers club a one-off uh, years ago but it became its own amphibious beast as it were for all you floridians down there all you real trolls down there in florida <laughs> we hey, say that because again we're from florida david so. dead filmed in florida right there's that, that is true. you could tell because it looked like the end of the world well my aunt is in De- day of the dead <laughs> oh. uh yeah she plays a zombie and she was a writer for usa today and had a whole report for them when it came out about like you know how i played a zombie in central florida and talks at great lengths about i actually gotta find that article and scan it into for everyone it's really cool because it shows her her makeup and i've always tried to find her in the movie and i can't but yeah it's really cute they talked about how like she had sandwiches on set with everyone and everyone was really nice and it was like a humbling little set that everyone was just kind of it was very small production even though it was a big obviously was, was she going up to other extras and saying things like how about these are these characters for real <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, story like, these are these real like, characters because like can you believe it like this buff they guy work? got they got the curve oh, on are, everyone are we in rehearsals they're being recorded and they're trying to figure out <laughs> the characters and if they're likable or not are they still workshopping this um, look I should also say Loved growing up in Florida. Uh, love the beaches. Love the people. No, no shots. No, no shots intended to, to Florida. I'll just say that. Well, I think that's it, folks. What a fun episode this was. A fun introduction to who we are and and how much we like to talk about horror. Sometimes for hours, as is the case of this episode. <laughs> Do we have a sign off? Yes. Yeah. We'll be right back. back. Bye, everybody.
you've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast. Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more. <laughs>